get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. They go, long shot on, rebound there, they score. Not a hard enough back check for the forwards as Lawton beat the Blues to the rebound puck. Down low and a shot on, off the glove and in. That one hit the glove of Hofer, pops up into the air. The Blues couldn't swat it back. Flyers walk it in, shoot and score. What a backhand shot by Owen Tippett. He walked the Blues right at the blue line and gives the Flyers a 3-2 lead with 5.33 to go. And the night comes to an end that way for the Blues. A 4-2 final. The Flyers over the St. Louis Blues. First two goals, you know, we, we turn the puck over in the offenses on it goes down and it's it's in the back of our net, you know, and, and those plays can't happen. We got to make better decisions there. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. That's what it sounded like right here in your home of the Blues 101 ESPN as the Blues lose last night against the Philadelphia Flyers. A rough one uh, for St. Louis. They lose that one four to two. Alex, they, they just didn't play well. I think part of what we have seen recently, and I I tried to describe this yesterday. I don't know if I did a good job of it, but you didn't. I I feel like the Blues are doing a lot of relying on great goaltending right now. And I don't want to understate how excellent Jordan Bennington has been in this stretch. If you look at the underlying numbers, a lot of what the Blues are doing is not all that dissimilar from what they had done prior to this eight-game stretch. Are they suppressing shots by a slim margin? Yeah, Are they much better right now on the power play? Absolutely. And that's a big catalyst for their recent winning ways or their ability to rack up points against these quality opponents. But defensively, it ain't looking all that different. And last night was bad. The turnovers that are starting to reappear. Alex, I am starting to wonder if they are hitting the place that Minnesota has gotten to, which is, all right, that that post-coaching firing bump that you typically get it might be starting to wear off. Minnesota starts the year 5-10-4. They fire their coach. They go 10-3 and in their next 13 games. They have been abysmal ever since. Alex, is that what we're starting to see with the Blues? I'm a little worried that it is. Now, like, they still have found ways to keep games close. Even that Philadelphia Flyers game up until the last five minutes, you were in it. But to BK's point, you were in it because Joel Hofer was making some big-time saves for you and your power play came through. Uh, but, man... What I didn't see for about eight games when Drew Bannister took over, maybe little leeway, maybe like six games following that Tampa Bay Lightning game. There were not as many D zones for turnovers. We talked about it. JR's piece in The Athletic where Bannister talked about, you know, the team staying under the puck, not exiting out of the zone too fast until the puck was out. Boy, these last two games, it's been off to the races every time a defenseman touches the puck. And next thing you know, they can't get out of the zone. The start of the third period, they spent three minutes circling backwards because they couldn't get past the neutral zone. There was pass, nope, picked off, go back. Pass, nope, picked off, go back. So I don't know if that's because the Blues are trying to force offense right now because they are not scoring a lot of goals. I don't know if this feels like maybe because they have showcased their skill and their speed that they feel like they can beat these opponents. 
But last night you took on a team that gives you zero time and space and the Blues defensive zone turnovers reared their ugly head. And I mean, it didn't cost them because of their goaltender. But if you start playing with that type of fire, you're not only going to get burned, you're going to burn the whole thing down because everybody else around you is starting to win. And you're back now, bottom eight in the National Hockey League. So I'm starting to get a little nervous that this accountability thing we talked about with Drew Bannister, he can hold guys accountable all he wants. But if you start to lose that work ethic on the ice, if you start to lose that mindset of making the right decision at the time of the game, then you're going to start losing more hockey games. So I don't want to go full like they are losing that new coach bump because I think it's kind of twofold. One, I think their, their game is reverting back to kind of what we thought the roster was going to be, right? Where it's inconsistent, turning the puck over a lot. But the the one thing that I would say that I'm still confident in what Drew Bannister is doing is the compete level is still there. Like last night, even though they lost that game and it was a roller coaster of a game and they didn't play well in the first two periods and Bannister said that as much post game, yep. at least that they are still out there competing because that was a game last year where or during the Bruby, the end of the Bruby era here, to where that goal goes in at the end of the second period, which, let's just be honest, bad goal from Hofer. Should have had that one. Anyways, it goes in by the end of the second period. That's the backbreaker for this Blues team at the end of the Bruby time here. And I didn't see that. I, I keep seeing the compete for the Blues. I think what we're seeing now, though, is the roster is still just playing to what it is capable of. I, I think they are maxed out at where they are in terms of in the standings. Maybe there's a little bit more ceiling to their game. But we've seen that they're too inconsistent. They turned the puck over too much. But the thing that I'm still happy about, at least from the Bannister perspective and the new coach bump, and the reason I'm not saying they've lost it just yet, the compete is still there for the Blues. See, I thought they lost that compete the third period. I thought as soon as Tippett scored that goal, they lost that compete. They lost that push. And the empty net goal was the perfect example of it. You rimmed it around the board. You lost the puck battle. And then you got the two-on-one the other way from Philadelphia. So although I agree the compete was there for the first two periods, I thought you lost it at the worst time possible. Yeah, and the funny thing is I thought they played like crap for the most of uh, the first two periods. Like the compete level, I'm yeah, with you, did. was there. They just played poorly. And so then in the third period... Your play improves a bit, I suppose, but your compete level wears off. So weird game last night. A lot of what's gone wrong here is just like, guys, can you name the list of forwards that have scored at least two goals since uh, Drew Bannister was hired? We're talking about a month of hockey. Wait, you're talking two goals? Two goals. At least two goals at even strength. Uh Okay, well, Kyra Bannister was hired. Kyra got a hat trick. All right. Kevin Thomas has gotten one. Uh, By the way, Jordan Kyra scored six goals in the 14 games since Drew Bannister was hired. Kevin Hayes? Kevin Hayes has scored two goals at even strength since Drew Bannister. Robert Saad. Thomas. Robert Thomas has scored four. Saad. Uh, Saad might have power play Brandon goals. Brandon Saad has oh. two. Okay. Even strength? Even strength goals. Um, Zero assists. I think that's oh, Prego. the list. Prego's probably No, he said forwards. There's oh, one yeah, more. Okay. There's one Pavel more. Buchnevich. Pavel Buchnevich has scored four goals. So your top win. line, Kairou, Thomas, Buchnevich at even strength have scored a total of 14 goals in the last 14 games. Beyond that, your forwards, Brandon Saad, two, Kevin Hayes, two, Nathan Walker, one, Kapanen, one, Torpchenko, one, Shin, one, Neighbors, one. The rest of your forwards combined have not scored as many goals at even strength as your top line has scored in their last last 14 games. That's not your fourth line had more shots on goal than your second and third line had shots on goal. You don't have the skill. (laughs) This team is not good enough to contend in a meaningful way this year. And Alex, this is not me trying to talk crap on your beloved St. Louis Blues. We just have to be realistic about what this team is capable of. And right now, 
you are working with a bunch of fill-ins in your middle six forwards. Your fourth line, at best case scenario, like the way that it should be constructed right now, it's fine. Your top line, more than capable of being a top line in the NHL. The middle six, though, and it's not good enough. You're, you're biding time until your, your younger players are able to get here. And so, yeah, it's going to look bad on certain nights. And the offense isn't going to be there. And thank God this power play has improved because they're just not going to be able to score consistently enough at five on five to be able to be a consistent threat in the Western Conference. And so this gets us to a piece that I read yesterday, Alex, from The Athletic, from your guy Dom, who was writing about how the Western Conference and really the NHL as a whole, this is as wide open as it's been in years when it comes to the teams that are capable of winning a Stanley Cup. He has zero teams with a greater than 12% chance right now to win the Stanley Cup. And I think it was like 12 teams that have at least a 5% chance to win the Cup. So what that means is it's kind of like baseball at the deadline this year. You're going to have a lot of teams that feel like they're in it, right? And a lot of teams that don't feel like they're completely out of it, which means very few sellers. And so I bring that up as it pertains to the Blues, because if this trend continues, if they are kind of hitting the end of that new coach bump and we start to see more of the reality settle in, the Blues are uniquely positioned to be able to trade and get some serious assets for some of these pieces that are currently on the roster. And one of those things that I'm curious about, Alex, is it's time to explore Matt Kessel a little bit more with Tory Krug. You oh, had the numbers you meant the other night. Him. I'm like, don't trade no, no, Kessel. No, 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 no. Because get what I think that him. it could do is, <laughs> as much as we talk about Tory Krug as the piece that you might trade, do they start thinking about what Justin Falk's future looks like here in St. Louis? Man, it seems odd to say because Justin Falk was their best defenseman last year. And I don't think anybody could argue that, especially because Colton Pareko was so inconsistent and Justin Falk kind of carried the way with Tory Krug. But I looked at this last night. So two games uh, since Justin Falk has been back that he's played with Tory Krug, he's been on the ice for every single even strength goal against. The one that he was on the ice and Krug wasn't on the ice for was the first shift against Boston that was Perunovic and Justin Falk. But every other time, it's been even strength goal against Falk has been on the ice. Tori Krug, when he was paired with Matt Kessel, they were on the ice. Well, Matt Kessel has not been on the ice for an even strength goal against. And I mean, he's played like eight games now, not an even strength goal against. Tori Krug, in the six games that he played with Matt Kessel, when Justin Falk went down to injury, he was on the ice for a power play goal against. He was on the ice for a even strength goal against, and that was the first game against Pittsburgh where he played with Marco Scandella and then an empty net goal against. So Tory Krug, and a lot of people are very critical of Tory Krug. Tory Krug is showing what Doug Armstrong had said in that press conference about how he shows the compete. He's got fight in his game. I can't deny that. And him playing with Matt Castle made sense. I don't know why it worked, but it worked. Krug was the offensive guy. Kessel was the stay at home guy. And those two had success. And you broke that up, and now Krug and Falk have been on the ice for five even strength goals against. That's problematic to me. I don't know if you explore what to do with Justin Falk, but I can tell you what, if I'm Drew Bannister, I'm giving more playing time to Matt Kessel right now because yep. Matt Kessel has earned it, and Matt Kessel should be playing with Tory Krug because those two were playing 18 minutes a night against the second-best lines for Vancouver, for Pittsburgh, for Florida, and finding ways to eliminate those players. I'm he deserves more time. I'm looking to trade Justin Falk. No trade clause. Sorry, man. I know. But we don't give out no movement clauses here. Justin Falk, after this season, has three more years remaining on his contract at $6.5 million. It is really hard, as we know here in St. Louis, to find defensemen capable of playing in the top four. I don't know if the Blues would be willing to eat 
half of his salary for the next three seasons. That's a lot of money. $3.25 million per year. Could they eat two million bucks per year? I think I would be willing to if I'm Doug Armstrong. And at that point, you're talking about him basically making Nick Letty money. And if I'm another team and I'm out there and I'm trying to contend right now and I don't have a ton of money on my cap sheet available to me, Justin Falk's the kind of player that I'd be willing to move second round pick, third round pick for. And if if I'm the Blues and I can open up more flexibility long term, I can get more opportunities for Matt Kessel, who I want to see in the lineup more often right now. That's the kind of thing that I would start to explore. So as we get closer to the trade deadline, these are the kinds of things that I think are worth monitoring for Blues fans is watch these games. See, okay, who's going to be a part of this thing three years from now when we're really trying to contend? And if you say no, that player is not going to be a part of this. Start thinking about, okay, what would it look like if they moved that player at the deadline or in the offseason? And I think Justin Falk is one of those players that we really haven't put onto that list that we probably should be discussing a little bit more. I I think if the Blues and there's not a lot of sellers, I I think the Blues are going to have a healthy load of defensemen that could be traded. I mean, Justin Falk, absolutely. Tori Krug, if he continues to play well, our team's interested, maybe. Um, Nick Letty as well. I think Scott Perunovic's name might be in that conversation as well, because the one difference between Perunovic and Krug is, man, Krug does have that feistiness in front of the net. He's got that fight to his game. I mean, if to to do that test that you just talked about there, BK, I can list two defensemen that I could say, you know what? Yeah, I could see where they're at in three years from now. Pareko and Kessel. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, as I listened to John Mosellock and Bill DeWitt Jr. over the weekend, I thought to myself, are are the Cardinals about to do something that they have never done in the Bill DeWitt Jr. ownership group era? We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. You guys can get involved in the show. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. And we are live on YouTube as we are each and every day at 101 ESPN STL. But coming up next, the opportunity cost of sitting out of this coaching market is far too great for the Eagles and the Cowboys to not do what is necessary. We'll discuss it and that Eagles atrocious loss. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Mayfield wide open. There's more again. His second catch. Still working through this secondary, and a touchdown, Tampa Bay. No flags. You cannot go into next season uh, status quo. There's going to have to be some changes, and I'm as interested as anyone to see what those are. And the Eagles are not alone. There's going to be a few other teams in that same position that are going to have to address it. But it's going to be a long offseason for the Eagles. It was a big disappointment and uh, even bigger one in the way in which they played tonight. That's what it sounded like last night on Monday Night Football. Audio via ESPN as the Eagles put out a stinker. This one was easy to foresee. I think most people that watched the Eagles down the stretch saw this one coming. They looked like a team that was limping to the finish line, Alex. Quarterback is hurt. A.J. Brown is out. Devontae Smith had a great game last night, but otherwise the rest of the team just looked ready to go one, two, three, Cancun. The defense forgot how to tackle against a Buccaneers offense that looked terrible one week prior 
against the putrid Carolina Panthers. So this was not a team that went out there and it was like, okay, they're going up against, you know, the Lions or the Cowboys or the Packers. Like, okay, I, I understand how that could go. They played against the Buccaneers, and the, the winner of the worst division in all of football. So uh, something has to change there. Troy Aikman is 100% correct. And normally, Alex, in a normal offseason, I would say what you got to do if you're the Eagles, you back Nick Sirianni, the guy took you to the Super Bowl last year, change over the coordinators, and let's see if this thing gets fixed in 2024 because they clearly have the talent, and Sirianni, I think, still can be a good coach if he's got the right coordinators beneath him. I don't feel that way this offseason. I think this is a unique offseason where if you are wondering right now, do we have the right coach? And you're leaning and it's like 50-50, you have to fire him. Because right now, especially if you're a good job, and the Eagles is a good job, you have to go out there and get one of Jim Harbaugh, Bill Belichick, Mike Tomlin, see if he becomes available, uh, Mike Vrabel, guy that's available right now, who else am I missing? Oh, Pete Carroll, maybe one of Ben Johnson, Bobby Slowick, the offense coordinator for the Lions and the Texans. Raheem like, Morris. You've got a all-time great off-season list of coaches that are available right now. So it's like if you have the number one overall pick and you're the Bears, you probably have to trade Justin Fields and take that number one overall quarterback because the opportunity cost of not doing so and having this chance to get a potential generational player is just too great. You can't pass that up. That's what the Eagles are facing right now. You can't back Nick Sirianni, who might be a good coach, when you've got the opportunity to go out and hire somebody that you know is a great coach this offseason. So the Cowboys, the Eagles, I think they're both in the exact same spots right now. Good jobs, objectively, that have to come open this offseason because of the great candidates that are out there. Yeah, if I'm Philadelphia, I'm not going to wait on this one. I I think I could get rid of Nick Sirianni. It's very evident that Sirianni was great last year because of his two coordinators and you took those away and he couldn't live up to those expectations my other question though before I make that move is what's my roster going to look like because am I going to have massive turnover there apparently you're going to have a new center and with AJ Brown who knows what the hell's going on with that stuff scrubbing his social media Philadelphia so like is my team going to look different am I going to still be competitive you still got Jalen Hurts you still got a really good offensive line even without Kelsey and you still have Devontae Smith with all of these coaches, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit there and act like I can get to the next level with this guy if I give him one more chance. Agreed. Because if there's one guy on the market, yeah, I probably give my guy one more chance. But man, I've got like five or six guys that I can go after right now, and for me to sit here and act like I need to do justice for Nick Siri Nick Sirianni because he got me to the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, he got you to the Super Bowl, but so do those two offensive coordinators that went on and had more success than what you saw from Sirianni this year. Imagine if the offseason that they brought back Doug Peterson, if they had the opportunity to hire Bill Belichick, hire uh, Mike Tomlin, Mike Vrabel, Pete Carroll, etc. Imagine if those guys were available and then they didn't. And then the next offseason, they fire Doug Peterson. This is coming off of that Super Bowl win against uh, the Patriots. You you would feel miserable if you gave up the opportunity to hire one of those all-time great coaches and you just passed on it. You just passed it by. It'd be like what we saw with the Falcons, for example, when or the Broncos, when they passed up the opportunity to draft Justin Fields to get a guy that's a really good player um, in, what's his face, cornerback from Alabama, whatever. Um, they, they draft a cornerback there who ends up being a good player, 
but they give up the opportunity to to draft a quarterback on a cheap deal in in Justin Fields, and then the next offseason they're back at the quarterback market, and then they get themselves into a terrible situation with Russell Wilson instead. That's the kind of thing that can happen if you give up this opportunity to go get one of those great coaching candidates that are available. I mean, can you guys imagine Mike Vrabel with that team? I think he'd be a great fit in Philadelphia. First of all, he fits Philadelphia, just yeah. the ethos of the city. And then you add in like him coaching that defense, having the the ground and pound mentality with Justin or with um, with Jalen Hurts as his quarterback. I think he'd be an excellent fit. Pete there. Carroll was the one that came to mind for me because just the mindset of the running game, and then you have a mobile quarterback like they did with Russell Wilson. You've got a defense that you can get behind. Honestly, any of these names would be good because I could make you the argument if Mike Tomlin becomes available. He'd be great. That's somebody you want to pursue, especially with just the Pennsylvania background. So, uh, yeah, I, Nick Sirianni, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if Nick Sirianni is just an awesome coordinator and not a good head coach. I, I don't even know that he's an awesome coordinator. I think he might have been a creation of Shane Steichen, the new Indianapolis Colts head coach. Steichen was great this year. Like, really good. He damn near took that team to the postseason with Gardner Minshew as his starting quarterback for almost the entirety of the regular season. He didn't have Jonathan Taylor for the vast majority of the year. It was Zach Moss and Gardner Minshew and Michael Pittman Jr. And he created like a top 15-ish offense in the NFL with those guys as his key playmakers. That guy might be good at his job. And he did that last year with this Eagles offense. And then now you look at it and like, the Eagles just were a disaster this season, man. Yeah. They started out the season 10 and 1, but it was kind of Still a fraudulent, fraudulent 10 yeah. and 1. And then they finished the season on just a, a horrible stretch. I, I think it's time. I think they have to go make this move. The Cowboys, I felt the same way coming off of the weekend. And I think going into next year, if you get the right coach in there, they could rebound like that. It wouldn't surprise me at all if going into 2024, we're looking at the Eagles and ourselves, oh, Mike Frabel is the head coach, turn this thing around, get a few things better defensively. I could see how that ends up being a 12-win team again next year. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, and I think you guys are right. I, if that game's competitive, I think there's still an argument to be had on Sirianni. But, like, what are the odds that there's going to be this great of a coaching carousel next year? Like, it's, it's not great Impossible. at all. I can't imagine it because I can't even think of a candidate that would probably hit the market that I'd be looking at that I'd say, oh, okay, now you can go hire that guy over Sirianni. Because you're right. When you look at this market and you see the names that are on there, you almost have to just take the leap leap of faith and see if it works out. And again, I think it's a different story for both the Eagles and the Cowboys. If like if we look back at that game, we just go, man, Baker Mayfield was awesome, and they end up losing that football game, like, I don't know, 27 to 23, then I think it's a different conversation. They weren't even competitive in the game, and there was no adjustments made really at halftime. In fact, I thought they got worse in the second half. And the same was said for the Dallas Cowboys. They could not make an adjustment. They got shellacked. It wasn't a close football game. I think both those squads have to make a change for probably just change purposes and see if they can go out and get one of those top-end guys. And I, I don't even think you, like, wait around and see like okay maybe we try and talk with Belichick first make sure we got him locked in and then we move on no I think you open up the job right away and then get serious and just go you basically hand them whoever it is you think's the best target whether it's Harbaugh whether it is Carroll whether it is Vrabel you hand them a blank check and go what do you need because let's bring you in and if I'm Philadelphia I do this now because my job might be as desirable than some of these others exactly that's the other like if we're talking about the Bucks. I don't know. Yeah, the, the Buccaneers. If they had the same performance yesterday as the Eagles had, right? You just flip it. You you make it the inverse. I wouldn't be talking about the same thing if I'm the Bucks. 
You've got Mike Evans, who's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. You have no idea what your long-term future looks like at quarterback. Like, that's a, that's a totally different conversation. The Steelers, right? It, if Mike Tomlin says, hey, I want to move on, I want to go to another job. Man, I, I think the Steelers' job is a good one because of how much stability is there. I don't know how much winning you're going to be doing in the immediate future if you bring in a new guy as the the head coach of the Steelers. So it's it's just a totally different situation. The, the Packers, for example, right? If they had flamed out this year, Jordan Love proves he's not the guy. It obviously didn't go that way. It's the opposite. And you know LaFleur is the head coach for the long term. But in this inverse scenario, I, you wouldn't be talking about them as the, the team that needs to fire their head coach to go hire one of these guys because I'm not sure they could attract one of those guys in that scenario. The Eagles and Cowboys are good jobs with proven NFL quarterbacks and talent across the board, offensively and defensively. You've got ownership groups that, however you feel about Jerry Jones and Jeffrey Lurie, you know they're willing to invest in their teams. This isn't a situation like the Cincinnati Bengals, right? And so if you're one of those teams and you're looking at it, okay, what's our problem right now? What's our best way to get back to contending? It's by changing out the head coach. That's the easiest way to change what your future outlook is. And by the way, the one other thing that I would add to this, the Eagles are a really good example of why it's hard to talk about the NFL in five-year spurts. If you don't have Patrick Mahomes and you don't have like Joe Burrow when healthy or Lamar Jackson, you're in a one- to two-year window at any given period of time. The Rams, T-Bone, your team. The reason why I liked what their philosophy was of bleep them picks is Man, they're trying to capitalize on this now because you never know how long that window is going to last. A couple of years ago, we would have, hell, this time last year, we would have thought the Eagles were going to be good for the next five years. No doubt about it, that's going to be a team that is in contention for a long time. And now you look at it and it's like, that team's in disarray. You have no idea what their future outlook is. I, I think that this is a reminder for a lot of teams across the league. Take advantage and strike while the iron is hot, man, because you just never know how long that window is going to last. And this is why like the Texans, for example, man, go make all of the moves that you need to be super aggressive this off season because you know, you got it right at quarterback. Don't think that you're going to contend for the next decade. Think that you're going to contend for as long as he's on that rookie deal. So make sure that you strike in these next three years while you've got that opportunity to do so. The Eagles probably wish they had done a little bit more to bolster that defense now, looking back at it. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Alex, yesterday as I was listening to Bill DeWitt Jr., and the day before as I was listening to John Mosellock speak at Cardinals Winter Warm-Up, I thought to myself, are we going to see the Cardinals do something that they've really never done before in this ownership group era? We'll tell you what that is coming up next year on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex 
Jason T-Bone on BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We'll get to your questions and answers coming up here in just a little bit. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get your questions in. But Alex, we had a lot of questions about the Cardinals' future over the last few days. And John Mosellock, Ollie Marmol, the DeWitts, they all stood in front of the media and answered our questions. And as I was listening to Mo in the DeWitts specifically over the last few days, Alex, I thought to myself, man, I'm not sure I've ever been more... I'm not sure I've ever felt that the Cardinals' future was more in question than I do at this moment in time. And I don't mean in terms of, like, the wins or the losses or uh, who's going to be on the— No, like, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if they're going to continue adding payroll to the roster or shedding payroll in a serious way. I don't know if they're going to re-sign Paul Goldschmidt, a legacy player, which is something I never thought I would be saying going into this upcoming season— our, our typical expectation would be, oh, yeah, Nolan Arado, Paul Goldschmidt, they're going to be here for the rest of their careers because that's the way that the Cardinals operate. And yet, it's a little different this time around. Mo said over the weekend, hey, Paul Goldschmidt, we're going to play it by ear. We're going we're gonna to wait on this thing. He wants to wait. We want to wait. We're going to see what it looks like early in the season. Okay, sure. Yeah, okay. The DeWitts and Mo both said very clearly over the last three days, the whole situation with Bally Sports Midwest, it did not impact their offseason for this year. The payroll was set as is for the 2024 season. They did say beyond this year, though, there's a lot of uncertainty. And Alex, the reason why they didn't have any sort of issues for this upcoming year, they're guaranteed 100% of their money, boys. They got all the money from Bally Sports Midwest. Congratulations, Cardinals. I'm happy for them. One of the very few teams in Major League Baseball that has zero uncertainty for this upcoming year. So it's a good thing they're reinvesting that in the team. Yeah, they backed it. They spent more than they ever have. Of course. If you take a microscope, you can see that money that is being spent. It's like an extra. Just an extra couple of cents. But Alex, let's set that all aside for a moment. Why? For 2025... The contracts that are on the books include Nolan Arenado, Wilson Contreras, Miles Michaelis, Steven Matz, and Sonny Gray. Those are the only guaranteed deals that are on the books beyond this season. That totals for $105 million in guaranteed payroll, not for this year, for next year. The year after that, it's just Nolan Arenado, Wilson Contreras, and Sonny Gray. Those three deals total for $80 million. Alex, I'm starting to wonder if, depending on what happens with this Bally Sports Midwest deal... I do wonder what if their future looks more similar to the Mariners and the Twins than the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros. And what I mean by that is those teams are really tightening up the belts right now. When you look at what their off seasons have looked like, there's a lot of frustration in Minnesota and in Seattle right now about, hey, these are teams that were like supposed to be contenders in 2024. And I think their teams have gotten worse this offseason. They have taken a step back instead of another step forward. Do you get the feeling that we could see something similar here in St. Louis where maybe Goldie's not back and you see Alec Burleson as your starting first baseman? Maybe Nolan Arenado is not back in 2025 and Nolan Gorman moves over to third and Brendan Donovan is playing second base. 
Is that something that's feeling realistic to you right now, Alex? Yeah, it is, because I I think if the Cardinals once again aren't willing to show those two guys that they're willing to go for a World Series, and how do you show Arenado and Goldschmidt that you're ready to go for a World Series? You make aggressive moves that you don't typically do. If you don't show that, I I, part of me really wonders if this is like when your girlfriend says, like, hey, we're going to break up. It's like, no, 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 we're going to break up. Like, Goldie told them he's not signing a contract he wants to see, and the Cardinals are like, yeah, we we want to see too, Goldie, but in reality, we really want you back, please. Uh, but if you're not going to show those guys that you're willing to contend, then Goldie's not going to want to be here. And if Goldie's not here, Arenado is going to demand to be traded because Arenado wanted to come here because the Cardinals are always a team that goes for a World Series. Hasn't been that way since he's been here. So the the Cardinals, I think, know in the back of their minds, like, look, in one year, this could look tremendously different. So our focus needs to go back to old faithful that was developed from within. We've got our internal third baseman. We've got our internal first baseman. Look at all the young players we've got. That's why we didn't deal them away. So good riddance, Goldie and Arenado. You didn't want to be with us. We're going to go on the roll. The problem is I don't think they understand the bleakness that's going to come for the team you don't have a Goldie and Arenado, because as much as we love this youth, there's a difference between having youth that can win with veterans and having a group of players that don't know how to win. And I'm a little concerned that if this year goes sideways, you're trending in the territory of losing those two guys and not having people around that know how to win. That's how you become the race. And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. A good way? Because I don't think so. I'm saying the model that the Rays are run with would be similar to what we're talking about in this scenario where the Cardinals trade off Nolan Arnato. The Cardinals allow Paul Goldschmidt to hit free agency and don't retain his services in 2025. That's what the Rays do. They keep around a few guys. They'll have a few not as big of contracts as what the Cardinals would have in this scenario. Like They wouldn't have Wilson Contreras. They wouldn't have probably Sonny Gray. But they they have a couple of those mid-sized deals on their books. Like they could have Miles Michaelis. They could have uh, Steven Matz on their books, and it wouldn't be crazy for the Rays to go about it that way. But they have young guys that are all across the diamond. Like the Rays would probably trade Tommy Edmond after this upcoming season. And if the Cardinals are going about it that way, I'm not telling you it's a objectively the wrong way to go about it. It's just different. It's new, and it would be trading off future Hall of Famers, which, yo, man, that is a very different way of operating your business than what we've seen here for the past 25 years in St. Louis. And it would be jarring, and it would be something that I don't know how it would go over with Cardinals fans. I would think it would go over poorly, and I wouldn't blame you if you're a Cardinals fan and you're saying to yourself, okay, so the DeWitt said yesterday, despite the losing season, they are expecting once again 3 million fans to go into the stands this year, which is going to help them boost their revenue for the 2024 season. And this is coming off of a bad year. And now they're telling us that if things go bad, they're just going to pull the plug, disinvest in this team. They're, they're going to just yeah pull the plug. That's a good term for it. I, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I would feel like as a Cardinals fan, Hey, we're helping you prop up the revenues by going out in a way that no other market our size could possibly support a team. And in one year where you have the lack of certainty with your TV deal, where, by the way, I think in the future, they actually might benefit from this more than most other teams across the league. You're not willing to deficit spend. You're not willing to take on a little bit more in the red than what you would typically be expected to do. And I'm not somebody that's telling you as a business, you should be able to profit. I understand that. 
but they've been profiting for 25 years as the Mm -hmm. owners of this team. And all of this is getting out in front of what is potentially a conversation after the season. But I feel like this for the first time was the DeWitts and Mo and the hiring of Heim Bloom as part of this and the one-year deals this offseason as part of this and the lack of trades where you allow yourself the open flexibility of, hey, Donovan could be our future second baseman. Nolan Gorman could be our future third baseman. We could have Alec Burleson at first base in the future. Like, everything fits pretty well. And you can understand suddenly why they didn't trade some of these position players uh, for a starting pitcher, for example, if this is something that at least they want in their back pocket as an option for them after the 2024 season. If all of this is what they're setting up going into 2025, man, it is going to be one of the bigger changes in operations that we have seen in Major League Baseball in the past two decades. I can't think of many other teams that have done that that were in the Cardinal spot that would be going to this kind of an operation Baltimore. other than maybe Boston. I would say Boston is probably Boston's the biggest going. one. I, and I'd throw Baltimore in there too because they used to spend on free agents as well. Like they brought in, they gave Chris Davis a huge contract extension. They brought in a Nelson Cruz when they had Machado under his kind of rookie deal. Sure. And then when the father of ownership kind of started to take a back step. John, I think John's the one that's running it now. John into whatever his last name is. He, Angelos. Angelos, thank you. Um, he basically has gone from, hey, we can operate like the Rays. Now, I, I think it would take a losing season again for the Cardinals to get to this point. But it, it don't. there's no mistake that they laid out the breadcrumbs for this at winter warm-up. I mean, you mentioned the first, the Mo comment. You know, well, maybe we could end up going into like a retool in 2025, the Heimbloom hiring. I think that was more of an outside perspective, but I could see where that also was the breadcrumb for, hey, this guy did what Boston did. Now, he didn't do it very well, but um, he could at least be brought in to take over when Mo does retire in 2025. And they, they don't want to operate in the red. I could see where if this is another losing season, they do pull the plug and say, you know what? It's time to change the order of operation. It's time to change the way we operate. I think a winning season, it, and I don't know how they would define a winning season. My guess is just win the make the playoffs, win the division. They do that. I can't see them pulling the plug. Now, maybe they do cut back on payroll a little bit, but I don't think it's like they trade Arenado. They look to trade a Contreras. I think it has to go like haywire for them to really change it because of what you said and how the fan base would react. Is this... Is this the most pivotal season for the Cardinals that we can remember in the last, let's call it 15 years? Like, the, Is it too much to say the future, the immediate future of the Cardinals hangs in the balance based upon the results of the 2024 season? I think a lot of people question it, the year going into Pujols' final year, but obviously the Cardinals found a way to keep their head above water following that. But yeah, I would say in terms of the... So the, the most pivotal year since 2011. Yeah, the, mo- the the change of direction of what they could look like and honestly the change of fan base's perception because fan bases aren't going to be on board for this if it takes that drastic of a turn. I think there will be some that... Are, I, I mean, I can only speak based on our, our text line, for example. I think there will be some that embrace it and are kind of excited by about something new that it's like, hey, they've been trying this for the last seven years. This is at least different. Do but, they embrace that or do they embrace that when a change in leadership happens there you embrace that that's where i feel like the real embrace will come into play but the reason reason real quick the reason why i say i think some will embrace it i think that's until they see the games yeah i think that changes if there's losing that comes with the change the change feels great until it's just change for change sake and then the results don't look a whole lot different and i think that's what would happen 
Like I think a lot of the times it's really exciting, it's fun, it's interesting to see the young guys play, but a lot of the times what that looks like is 500 or worse baseball. When you don't have Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt out there to be able to prop up the young guys, it doesn't look quite the same most of the time. Sometimes it looks like the Orioles from last year where they win a whole lot of games. It's like, damn. Or the Diamondbacks where it's like, whoa, okay, I can see how this comes together. A lot of times it doesn't. Looks like a lot the of the times it looks like the Pirates or the Royals or the Reds where it's like, okay, this is exciting, but is it really going anywhere meaningful? And the answer is no. Yeah, and, and what I was going to say is whether it be change and maybe they get excited about a front office change when Mo decides to retire or they do come out and they basically say, hey, we're going to cut back spending. We're going to try and operate as like a $100 million team rather than a $170 million team. Okay, that's all fine and dandy, but what's going to be the biggest draw for Cardinals fans? And I know Cardinals fans get upset about how what is being defined as winning for the Cardinals now, where the Cardinals would say what you said, win the division, while fans want NLCS. Well, you know what both those have in common? They're both winning, and that is the number one thing that will drive fan interest. If they change and they decide to change the payroll structure or they decide to make a massive change in the front office when Mo retires, what's going to be the thing that would keep fans excited about it? It'd be winning. Losing this team goes another season like they did last year where they went, what, 71 and 91? If that's a consistent theme, yeah, they're not going to like the change of cutting payroll. They're not going to like the change that happened in the front office. Winning is the number one thing that will drive the Cardinals fan base. Last thing on this from the 314. Guys, try to make it at least a little less obvious that you're just trying to draw attention. What the hell are you talking about? I'm going to read you a tweet. This comes from Derek Gould. I think it's all, it's fair to say he's not exactly a guy that's like a hot take artist. The Cardinals beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He relies on information to inform his reporting. Two pitchers signed a one-year deal. An MVP at the end of his contract. A reliever acquired who was a free agent at the season's end. A front office asked about a succession plan. The Cardinals appear to be at a tipping point. Is that a tipping point that is heading to a rebound or a rebuild? Ooh. That's from Derek Gould, Great man. line. That is not something that is made up. This is not just a whole lot of, like... Ferrario tinfoil theories. This is real. The Cardinals are at a tipping point right now, and the 2024 season could determine which direction they head in. Are they heading towards where the Boston Red Sox went, which means trading Mookie Betts, or your version of him, which is Nolan Arenado, and hitting the complete reset on their books? Or are they heading to a place where they re-sign Paul Goldschmidt, look at what lies ahead of them opportunity-wise with this TV deal, and say, okay, actually we're well-situated to be able to capitalize on this, deficit spend for a couple of years, and then hit the accelerator again. Which direction are they willing to go? Which direction are they able to go? It very well could rely on whether or not they have success in 2024. Uh, This is a hugely important season. For Cardinals fans, for the organization, and for the future of what this franchise looks like. I don't think that's overstating it. Neither does Derek Gould. All right, coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Right, 314-399-964. Your comfort service text line for a, an abbreviated version of questions and answers from the 636. Alex, what do you think is the ceiling for Matt Kessel? Uh, I would say... I would say probably like Joel Edmondson type. 
to where he's a really stable shutdown top four defenseman. He's nothing that's like a superstar. I don't think he's going to be a point scorer, but he's a guy that could play somewhere between 18 and 20 minutes a night and play against the other team's some of their best players and eliminate them. I, I think that's probably the ceiling of what you're looking at. He's six foot three. He's 205 pounds skates. Well, I think you could probably see a Joel Edmondson kind of ask as the ceiling of Matt Kessel. I like that. Cause I was kind of thinking probably ceiling more third pairing, um, but I could play in your top four in a pinch. Like we've seen so far this year when he played with Krug, but I, I would say more than likely, probably a stay at home kind of shut down quote unquote defenseman on a third pair. That feels right. Yeah, I think sometimes when we see these guys that have some some brief success, we get overly excited about what they're going to be long term. On a good team, I think he's probably a third pairing defenseman. Um, that that feels about right to me. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the six one eight guys. If you were the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, would you re-sign Baker Mayfield this offseason? Yeah, I would. I don't really know if there's going to be that many better options out there. Drafting-wise, you're probably not going to be able to find anybody. And Baker Mayfield's shown the ability to win with this team. So I'm not going to like throw the bank at him and put myself in a bad spot. But if he's willing to kind of come to an agreement that helps him and helps the team, I'd lock him up. He's obviously a winner. I'd try and give him like the Geno Smith deal. Geno got a three-year contract around like 25 mil AAV, but it was... The way he signed it, I mean, the Seahawks could technically get out of that contract this year after the first year of it. So if I'm Tampa Bay, I'd try and just kind of replicate that formula, give him a three-year deal, probably around that $75, $80 million, and find a way to get him out after year one. Man, They are in a really tough spot because cap-wise, they don't have a ton of money to spend this offseason, and they've got some significant free agents, including Mike Evans. So if you're the Bucks, does Baker Mayfield look the same? If he doesn't have Mike Evans next year, if you're instead of paying him $8 million, you're paying him $25 million. Evans was pretty invisible last night. He was, but that was also against a horrible Eagles defense. I I would probably want to try to bring him back, but I think I'd be more likely to trade up for a quarterback than I would be to bring back Baker Mayfield, honestly. I, it, it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy because they're going to be picking in the mid to late 20s now because they won that game yesterday. Uh, but I... I don't know that I would be at once to be the team that's paying Baker Mayfield $25 million. And I think that's what it's going to take to be able to re-sign him. So um, it's a tough spot. I don't envy their situation. They fell into a pretty good quarterback. I Could you get the same, for example, next year out of Gardner Minshew at $10 million or out of Jacoby Brissett at $10 million as you would on a three-year deal worth 25 per from Baker Mayfield? I think the answer is probably yes. And if that allows me to bring back Mike Evans, I would probably lean towards that side of the aisle. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to a game of bet it or forget it. But next, the postseason exposes whether or not you have the right quarterback who lived up to those expectations over the weekend. And what does that mean for their immediate futures? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Steve on BK coming up in 10 minutes. We'll get to bet it or forget it. You give us a scenario. We will tell you if we are betting it or forgetting it here on BK and Ferrario. The air comfort service text line to do so is 314-399-9646. So Alex in the postseason, we learned a lot. 
we learn a lot about do you have the right quarterback in place or not? Because the game changes once we get to January. First of all, there's weather that comes into effect. It's no longer the perfect, you know, beautiful skies in Miami, for example. Bring them up just out of nowhere, you know, with fantastic players that are all at 100%. No, the game changes. And you got to be able to prop up your teammates and make the plays when everything else goes to crap around you. And a lot of these guys just aren't capable of doing something like that. The other thing that happens in January, guys like Steve Spagnolo, man, they are going to game plan like crazy <laughs> to take away whatever it is that you want to do. They're going to try to make you play left-handed. We saw that last night, I think. Todd Bowles is really good at this. Todd Bowles is, I don't believe, a great head coach. He is an excellent defensive mind, though. And when he has an opportunity to really game plan, to figure out, okay, what are their deficiencies? What can I take away from them? He's going to do exactly that. And we saw that last night when the Bucks took on the Philadelphia Eagles. So, Alex, when you look at what we saw in the first weekend of the NFL playoffs, what do you think was the biggest thing you learned about any individual quarterback, whether it's on the positive side or the negative side, about a guy that either can or cannot lift up their teammates when well, it matters the most? I mean, negative side, I think we've learned that Mitch Trubisky's not the guy in Pittsburgh, <laughs> right? Like Mason Rudolph outperformed uh, – uh, not Mitch Andrew. Trubisky, Kenny Pickett, yeah. sorry. Um, I mean, you can say it about both of them. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> both, one started. both work. So uh, in the positive sense, I mean, I guess it has to be Jordan Love because I, I personally thought the C.J. Stroud was just as impressive as Jordan Love because that's a really good Cleveland Browns defense that you went out there and showed up against. But, I mean, Jordan Love to do that against that Dallas Cowboys defense, like you just mentioned, you know, spending all of that time and game planning, Dan Quinn was able to do that and not figure out how to stop Jordan Love. So on the positive side, I think Jordan Love has to be one there. Jared Goff should be a positive one right now to impress a lot of people. I think Josh Allen, although didn't look great in the second half, still yeah. an impressive game. I know you just hate we'll him, man. We'll get into that later. Negatively, frauds. Complete frauds. You're the worst. You really are, man. You're just so Chiefs worried. are going to win that by 10. Hold on. If you hear it. for the Bills. If you hear, listen softly, uh, BK's knees are trembling right now because no, of that No, they're really matchup. not. Do- Donnie, I, Donnie Fandango, your team's on notice. That team oh, stinks, man. Calling out Donnie. Yeah, we'll have They're him. lucky they hey, won that game Donnie the will take the stage when you you're not here later this week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to it. put you He'll in tell your you place. His team's a fraud. No, he won't. No, he won't. But I, I think negative wise, the two guys that stand out to me that aren't the obvious ones is Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott. And Jalen Hurts, a broken finger or whatever, so yeah. it makes sense. Dak Prescott, man, hearing the post game comments from him and Mike McCarthy, I'm a little wondering if Dak Prescott's the actual playoff guy that we're thinking he is. He might be the prototypical regular season quarterback, but in the postseason, it's not the guy. He's Kirk Cousins. Yeah. I mean, Mike McCarthy said, like, yeah, sometimes you got to get your quarterback in rhythm, and we didn't get it fast enough. And Dak even said, my head was moving faster than my body. Man, I, I really like Dak Prescott. I'm a guy that has defended him hell or high water. As you continue adding these things up, it's almost the Romo discussion, right? I was always a Romo defender because I thought Romo was a much better quarterback than he was given credit for. I was a Philip Rivers fan as well. Much better quarterback, I believe. I think he should be a Hall of Famer. I think he's a much better quarterback than people give him credit for. But man, as the evidence starts to stack against what you believe, you've got to be willing to listen to it. If a guy tells you who he is long enough, at some point you listen. And Dak Prescott has told us a lot of times, man, Hey, when these moments start to get bigger and bigger and bigger, I starts to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And I think the same might be true for Tua Tungabailoa. And that's my answer on this one. 
man, when stuff around Tua starts to fold, I, it's hard for me to say, yeah, I'm willing to give that guy $50 million. But did you really think he was going to be better than that after this season? Because he was never consistently great. I, 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 maybe I didn't expect him to be better. I hoped he could be. And I That's think if fair. you're the Dolphins, you hope that he can be. And if you're going to pay him $45 plus million, and that's that's the going rate. This is not me saying he should be a $50 million. No, like if you're going to pay your quarterback, you have to pay him a lot of money. That's, that's what it costs. I heard Alex Smith talking the other day about, hey, the, the middle tier quarterback salary is just gone. And Alex Smith saying that is interesting because he was the guy that like yeah. invented the mid-tier quarterback salary. It used to be, hey, we're going to pay $25 million for our quarterback because he's not Patrick Mahomes, uh, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen. And so, you know, 15 years ago, that would have been where Tua Tungavailoa kind of fit in. Is he, hey, you're not Josh Allen, but you're also not Baker Mayfield. And so we're going to give you like a five-year, $125 million contract. Good money. You can, you can make a really nice living that way. Tua wouldn't accept that right now, nor should he, because somebody's going to be willing to give him more. I just wouldn't do it if I'm the Dolphins. I would run this thing back one more year, see what it looks like. I, I wouldn't bring in a new quarterback, but... I think Tua, the biggest thing that I learned this weekend is I don't I don't think he can prop up his teammates. The old track, uh, tractor versus the trailer, I think he's a trailer. I think he's being pulled by his teammates as opposed to driving the bus for his team. Yeah, and I, I think you're right on with that one because, though, yes, I did not really expect much from the Dolphins in that game, mostly because they're kind of, they were kind of banged up, but that was on the defensive side of the ball. But he had really struggled down the stretch, and I think when you look at Tua— Look, man, if he can't play in the cold, we talked about this, I think it was yesterday. There's a lot of cold-weather stadiums outdoors in the AFC. He can't play in that kind of weather, then there's serious questions going to have to be raised because then you basically have to be just awesome in the regular season to make sure the AFC goes through your home in Miami, which is going to be tough in the AFC. So I, I think a negative was on him. I agree with the one on Dak because I, I I just don't know about Dak Prescott once you get to the postseason. I think it's a lot of the same conversation we have about Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arnato here in St. Louis of – Hey, man, they're great in the regular season, but the jury's still out on the postseason. And I think Dax is really starting to pile up compared to Goldie and uh, Arenado. I, I think on the plus, though, like, I I don't I, – Baker's not a great quarterback, but he's serviceable. He's he into the Jimmy Garoppolo. He finds ways to win playoff games, yeah. which I can't say the same thing about Dak. Yeah, he's in, like, that Jimmy Garoppolo range where it is, you know what? He's definitely serviceable. He probably is the mid-tier quarterback, honestly, um, to where you can bring him in. you got like one, two year if you got the right roster around him where you can be like maybe a 9-10 win team and maybe you get a win in the playoffs. So I think he earned himself a contract. Jordan Love solidified himself as the franchise guy. I, I, I'm still not going to – I still am not all aboard this, but I think Goff may have solidified himself as the Detroit Lions guy as well. Um I think golf is. Contract? I haven't looked at his contract he's a recently. Free agent, I think next year maybe or the end of the year. Because if he is, you got to resign him. Yeah, he. Uh, he's gonna get big money. Yeah, he is gonna get big dollars. Yeah. Oh wow! Next year is the final year of his deal. Yeah, I thought How much is he making up? right now? Uh, next year his salary will be about twenty-one million dollars. He's got a roster bonus though, so it, in the end, it's it's closer to like twenty-six million dollars. He's gonna make thirty-five. Oof. Yeah. He was on a con- that's the contract the Rams gave mm-hmm. him. Um, Ended up being actually a really good deal uh, when you yeah. look back on that. Like and it then di- spanked the own Rams. That's that great. was that was One the rare win win. 
yeah. in terms of a trade. Like, I think that one was a win-win. We saw the the Chiefs-Dolphins. I think that was a win-win for both teams, the Tyree Kill trade. It, Chiefs ended up being able to restock their defense, which helped them win a Super Bowl last year. I think the Dolphins are pretty happy with the fact that they've got Tyree Kill, to say the least. Uh, the Justin Jefferson slash Stephon Diggs deal, I think, was a win-win for both sides. Yeah. Bill's got a number one receiver. The Vikings were able to reset their clock with Justin Jefferson. That obviously has worked out incredibly well. There's been some good win-wins lately. I, I still believe that. I mean, you just mentioned, too, is he a tractor or a trailer? I still think golf's a trailer. But, I mean, at this point, the way he's playing, he can be a guy that you end up paying $35, $40 million to and are at least competitive. And, and as long as you've got guys around Jared Goff, he, he is a— Good quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback, but if you have weapons around him like they do, you're seeing the result. They're able to beat the L.A. Rams, and hell, they should get to the NFC Championship. And that's the difference for me. Expected to get there at this point. And that's the difference for me. The greats, you know what they're going to do. The Patrick Mahomes, the Joe Burrows, Josh Allen. You know what they're going to do. It's the guys that are just good that find ways to win playoff games. And Dak's not in that category. Other thing that I wanted to get to real quick as we react to the weekend that was in the NFL. Out of the following teams, who do you believe is most likely to pull off an upset this weekend, Alex? The Texans, the Packers, or the Buccaneers? All three are significant underdogs this weekend, but between the Texans, the Bucks, and the Packers, which one is most likely to pull off the upset in your mind? I think it's the Texans. I, I The the Bucks, I, I don't think, have a chance. Now, hopefully I'm not eating my own words, but I, I, I think the Bucks advanced because they played a crap team um i think the packers advanced because they played a team that gets in their own way but they're really as great as their offense was jordan love was it's a different entity when you're going up against that 49ers defense that's i would the, be talking differently about the packers if they were playing the lions this yeah. weekend instead of the 49ers yeah. i mean that's a different entity of what they're doing right now and we talked about this in the office like houston just showed the ability to go out and dominate against the best defense and you're doing the same against this baltimore ravens team but Baltimore doesn't have any offense that makes me scared to play against. Like, yeah, you got to find a way to contain Lamar Jackson. But other than Zay Flowers, there's not really much that that's dangerous out there. So if anything, I think Houston and Baltimore could go toe-to-toe. C.J. Stroud has shown that, so I think they could take down Baltimore. Yeah, I, I think it's Houston because I, I can't see a scenario in which the Packers win. I think the 49ers are the best team in the NFL. I, I think we're basically just waiting for them to win the Super Bowl at this point. Uh, I don't think the Bucks can beat the Lions because I think what Alex said is right. They just ran into a team that was really going through it in the Philadelphia Eagles. I, I think when you look at Houston, like that offense can pick apart a good defense, even without Tank Dell, which is just impressive from C.J. Stroud. I don't trust their defense necessarily, but to Alex's point on the Ravens' offense, like Lamar Jackson's there, but who's the great weapon with Lamar? Like he's got a bunch it of is interesting. good I, weapons. You like have to really. I, I know. I know because we watched it that the. Baltimore Ravens were an awesome offense this year. But if I just like, if I had had the men in black flashy thing done in front of my eyes and you just showed me the matchups, right? I would think the Texas offense might be better than the Ravens offense. If we're just being totally candid in that one. So I, I think that the Ravens have a much better defense and they have an advantage on special teams as well. But man, if if you're a true believer in CJ Stroud and I don't believe, I don't blame you if you are. I think the Texans could absolutely pull off the shocking upset going into this weekend in Baltimore. Someone, I will not be picking it, but it shouldn't shock anybody if it happens. Someone texted and said, Odell Beckham Jr. and Dalvin Cook. Hello. Exactly. That's the thing, man. Like, this Ravens offense like is a retirement fragile. Home. If Lamar has another one of those games 
where he gets into the postseason. We talk about Dak. We talk about some of these guys, uh, Jalen Hurts, that had disappointing postseasons. Dude, Lamar's been doing this for years. Or he has a great regular season, and then he gets to the postseason. They take away a couple of the things that you're doing well. It's like, oh, crap. There is not enough around him. And you look at it now, and you're like, okay, Zay Flowers, really good wide receiver. Who's the second guy that you're most concerned about on the Ravens offense? I guess Mark Andrews, if he's able Isaiah to play. Likely. It probably is, <laughs> likely right? Likely for how he's but played. To, to our point on the Ravens, like we were doing all kind of, like we were doing best ball drafts before the playoffs started, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going through a best ball draft and Zay Flowers and Lamar come off the board. And I go, who the hell is this Isaiah Likely guy? I'm like, yeah. I, I don't remember him being like He was this on waivers awesome like weapon. two weeks after Mark Andrews got injured in yeah. fantasy football. Like I... They just don't have an offense to where, like, I expect Houston, because I think D'Amico Ryan is a great head Agreed. coach. I expect them to eliminate Zay Flowers. So how are they winning this football game? I expect them to contain Lamar Jackson. And if you force Lamar Jackson into panic situations, we've seen the tendency I've, of losing the football. I've convinced myself the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl because of our conversation right well, now. They Coming can't get up past in the about Bills. 10 minutes or yeah, so. What the hell are you talking well, how about? do you get to the Super Bowl if you can't win a divisional round? The Cardinals have said time and time and time again, Hey, we needed to alleviate our surplus that was taking place in the outfield. Did they actually do that this offseason? We'll talk about it in just a little bit. Better to forget it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for Better to Forget It. I didn't know my voice could do that. That was impressive. Alex, Better to Forget It. The Chiefs will be in the Super Bowl again this year. Forget it. Forget it. They're losing to the Bills, man. No, they're not. You just tried to defend a Tebow tonight that they have better pass catchers on the Kansas City Chiefs than the Buffalo Bills. I believe it. Who? What do you mean? Who? List out the top three pass catchers for the Bills. I'd love for you to lift the top three out for the Chiefs. I will. Go for it. Okay, who would you say are the top three pass catchers right now for the Buffalo Bills? I would say Stephon Diggs, Dalton Khalil Kincaid, Shakur, and Dalton, and Dalton Kincaid. Kincaid. Yeah, and Gabe Davis when he's healthy. He's not healthy. Well, he's going to be. So He'll be healthy. I, I don't think he will. I think he will. He's hurt. Yeah, well, so Big problem for at them. least he's hurt. Look, you're not helping the cause here. Kelsey's not hurt. And also, Gabe Davis, like, okay. Um, he's been disappointing for it's better than years. all of the receivers Rasheed on the Chiefs. Rice, okay. Travis Kelsey, cool. Isaiah Pacheco. Which one would you rather have? Bills. Bills. I, I don't. Kelsey's old. Rasheed Rice sometimes catches the ball, and Pacheco's good. I mean, Rasheed Rice just put together one of the best performances by a rookie receiver not named Puka Nakua that we've seen in the last 10 years. Cool. Yeah. And Travis Kelsey yeah, I is trust still Rice. Travis Kelsey yeah. in the yeah. postseason. Really? Yeah, he is dropped he? three balls early on in <laughs> yeah. the is game, it? but he finished the 7 for 7. <laughs> yeah, but is he, though? I think we'll look back on this game and say, it's weird that we ever thought that the Bills were better. I, think I really gonna, do believe I that. I think we're going to look at this game and go, ha, ha, BK, the Bills won. I think we're going to look back and say, how did the Chiefs get through the first round? The the Bills stretch that has convinced us that they're this juggernaut. They well, should have said, lost to Kansas City. I never said they're a juggernaut. I oh, know, but you're, you're not who I'm talking about here. Sure. There's some national analysts that are going to come on the air today and tell you, oh, the Bills. No, stop. The Bills beat Kansas City in Kansas City because of a horrendous final play that Kadarius Tony, who, by the way, will not be participating in this game on Sunday. <laughs> Why he's is been, that? He's been banished. Why is that, man? <laughs> he sucks. Uh, okay, good. He lines up in the neutral zone and the Chiefs lose, but they should have won that game. 
They beat the Chargers God. 24 to 22. Tony's been awful. <laughs> they should have lost to the New England Patriots. They win that game 27 to 21. The Patriots, who were an abomination so much so that one of the greatest coaches in the history of football, probably the greatest coach, got fired because his team was that bad this Mutually year. Mutually parted ways. Yeah. The Bill Dolphins decided. that we just saw get absolutely shellacked by the Chiefs. The Bills did everything in the power to lose that game, and they won 21 to 14. All That's I'm, the team. All I'm hearing and is the, by excuses. the way, the Bills tried like hell to hand that game to the Steelers yesterday as well. Where they won they just they weren't capable of taking it because Mason Rudolph was their their quarterback. Chiefs are going to win this one. Chiefs Those are going to win by double so digits. Bad. When we have double digits, when we come on the air on Monday, <laughs> I'm going to take them on the river on the uh, alternate line. Chiefs minus seven. Now you, hey, you put your mouth or your words where your Whoa. mouth is. You do Chiefs minus nine and a half. The, the Chiefs will win this game by at least yeah. 10 points. You better do Chiefs minus nine and a half, and not if they seven. Don't, if they don't, then they don't. But I'm telling you that they will. No, if you're going to be this bold about it, there have to be repercussions. Okay, what do you got? I mean, I'm not that. going to do something crazy. Like, I bet you I could get plus 250 on the odds of this, like two and a half to one. Okay, well, I'll come up with something plus 250 The Bills 250 are not a very good worth. football team. They, they have been a Neither fraudulent the team. The That's Chiefs what I understand. Like, Chiefs I, have I a totally top three defense in the NFL. Okay. The, best, the best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. They've got a receiver that has come on on Rasheed Rice that they clearly have figured out a way to utilize say, in the past few I'd say weeks. Stroud's the best quarterback in the NFL. You're ridiculous. And Travis Kelsey's a Hall of Fame tight end who is Looks doing and slow. He's doing this year what Rob Gronkowski did in 2018. This will be the Chiefs will be in 2024 what the New England Patriots were in 2019. Where's the game being played at? It's in Buffalo. Buffalo. You know where that Chiefs versus Patriots game was played? It was played in Kansas City. The young buck Patrick Mahomes got his ass handed to him. Because D Ford lined up offsides against the wow. New England Patriots. Kind of a common theme with yeah, the Chiefs. I was going to say, oh, we got a lot of excuses Andy going on with this Chiefs team. doesn't know how to teach team. him how to line up. That's yeah. embarrassing. Yeah, your coach doesn't even know how to teach offsides. I'm telling you, the Chiefs are going to beat the Bills by by double digit points this, and we are going to be reminded. And then, the, the, by the way, the Ravens are losing as well. The Arrowhead Invitational is back. It is back for. I think I mean, it's the, uh, the the Ravens might for lose. the sixth consecutive <laughs> I mean, year. I, I believe it is the Chiefs will be hosting the AFC Championship game at Arrowhead the next week. You heard it right here first, ladies and I'm gentlemen. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead and parlay that Chiefs minus ten right, like, and the the Texans geez. money line. God, like, can you go on vacation at one o'clock today? Is that okay? Can we do that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm taking up a lot of time, Jesus. Alex. What do you have for better to forget? I, I don't forgot even, that's the segment we're doing. Here. I don't even know anymore because we've just been rambling about the Kansas City Chiefs. Better forget it. Going into next season, the Blues will have two defensemen that are on their team right now on other teams. Say that again. So going into next season, two defensemen defensemen. that are on the Blues team now will not be on their team next year. Bet it. Two of them. At least. I think it's closer to three or four. Man, you really, you like your vacation mode where it's like, I'm going to throw everything. I'm going to morose it and then leave. I don't think he's going to be back next year. I think there's a decent chance that one of Krug, Letty, or Falk are gone. All no trade clauses. I think one of them will be gone. Um, I would add Perunovic as a possibility there. I would add Tucker as a possibility there. <laughs> they don't have any more defensemen, man. Who are their defensemen? I'll bring some in. Drew Bannister is going to shoot up one, one, too, by the way. Yeah. I, I, think, would, uh, I think Scandella and I think one of Krug, Letty, or Perunovic will be gone. Yeah, see, I would... I would bet it. I would say Scandella's gone. I think he's gone at the deadline. Agreed. 
And then I, I just think somebody's moved. I don't really know if I know exactly who. I could see Letty. I could see Falk. I'm not sure I could see Crew. He already likes to be here. Um, Which, honestly, for how he played with Kessel, cool. I'm yeah. fine with you being here. And then I could see the argument for them trading up Prunovich. So... I would, I would, I would bet this. I don't know who that second name is, but I definitely know Scandella. I don't know the other one, but I would bet it. Got this, uh, this parlay for you. Get the hell out of here already! All right, better forget it. Chiefs minus six and a half in the Texans money line. Oh, you, you said and a half. No. fifteen to one. Yeah, you said, you said they're gonna win double digits. Put your money where your mouth is and make that spread nine and a half. I can't wait when they're down 24 to nothing at halftime. And you're like, ma, the Chiefs are going to come back. It's not going to happen. Maybe you should have to get an Allen jersey if the Bills win. I really can't wait for Rasheed Rice to drop the ball in the end zone. Minus nine and a half. (laughs) And Texans money line is a $210 win on a $10 wager. 21 to one. Kelsey lines up offsides on the final play of the game. Who's doing it with me, ladies and gentlemen? Nobody, because it's a losing bet. It's a winner. This, what was your bet about the Jets making the playoffs? And how are they doing? <laughs> Jets and the Bengals. Yeah. 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 He is the one. Hey, to be fair, I also have a Bills to go to the Super Bowl bet. That's looking pretty good right now. <laughs> is it? Because you're like all over there going. Because the Chiefs, what is happening I'm right now? I'm covering my own ass, ladies and gentlemen. T-Bone, what do you got? Guys, bet it or forget it. The St. Louis Blues will have a top 10 pick in this year's bet NHL it. draft. Yeah, bet it. They're, yep. they're already there. They have the... Swelf right, toughest well, schedule this, the rest of the this, way. Let's make this a little more He's interesting. He's going spicier? Bet it or forget it, they will have a top five pick. Ooh, that's where it gets draft. I would say forget it unless they win the lottery. And by lottery, I'm not saying they get the first overall pick. I'm saying they move up three spots. I think the five teams are locked in. Agreed. San Jose, San Jose Chicago, Anaheim, Ottawa, Columbus. All yeah. of those teams have no incentive to win. All of them, in fact, are incentivized to go the other direction. Mm-hmm. And they're already like... A significant amount worse than yeah. where the Blues They're are. They're all at. trading pieces at the deadline. I think there's a there's a top five. It's almost like quarterbacks in the NFL where you've got Patrick Mahomes. It's clearly above everybody else. No, and then you've got the next group. I'm kidding. Um, I, I think you've got the clear cut top five, and then there's a next tier where it's like Minnesota, Buffalo, Montreal, Calgary, St. Louis. All of those teams I think are in the next group. And that's going to be the battle of where you're ending up because battle I, of the blue, battle of the blue, and the Blue Jackets are going to unfortunately prevail. The problem is Edmonton, Seattle are all fighting now in our playoff teams, which if those two teams get into Dude, a playoff, Edmonton is on a heater. So is Seattle. Seattle just lost the first time in nine straight. Edmonton's won like 10, 10 in, a in a row. Those two are going for their positions in the playoffs, which means you're going to bump LA and Vegas down. You could see only three central division teams get into the playoffs because Nashville and Arizona are going to have to hold pace with those teams. So uh, yeah, I'm going to bet this one. I think you look at a top five pick because you got a tough schedule the rest of the way also. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. one more bet damn it or forget it. on here. There's not. Better to forget it, Mike Vrabel is a head coach in the NFL next year. Bet it. Where do you think he is? Um, I could see Atlanta. I could see Philly. I think Atlanta's going to get uh, Belichick. See, I think the Cowboys are going to get Belichick. I think the Cowboys are dumb and running it back with my card. Dude, yeah, that that's, a, God, that's a terrible decision. Too. Uh, what, the one will be interesting if Pittsburgh decides to move on from Tomlin, Vrabel would be a uh, Pittsburgh kind of guy fit. too. Great fit. So there. honestly, I could see so many different paths for Mike Vrabel. So I would bet it. I this there's no like reporting of this. I would almost say Washington. Hmm. Wow. I, I think Washington makes a ton of sense because new ownership. They want to kind of turn the tide, and if they're going to be willing to be patient and kind of go through this rebuild or retool, I would call it a rebuild. 
I think they would want someone that can bring in a new culture, new ownership, bring in a new culture, but new head coach, bring in a great Vrabel? culture. You just did That's that. the thing is, I don't know if Rabel would want to do I'd it. Like to but win. If, if they gave him like player personnel, I could see where it works out. If you're him, would you consider sitting out? Like, if let's let's assume for a second, Philly sticks with Sirianni, he replaces his coordinators, and Dallas sticks for whatever reason with Mike McCarthy, he gets some new coordinators. If you're him, would you then sit out this year? What and job kind are of you find waiting for? Kansas City. I'm actually being serious right now. I'm going to be serious or Buffalo, too. Like the possibility of Buffalo coming open next I'm year. I'm going to be serious with it. Is, is Kansas City enticing once Travis Kelsey takes the yeah, step back? Patrick Mahomes. It'd be like, it, is New England enticing after they lose out on Randy Moss or Wes Welker or uh, Rob Gronkowski? Yeah, they, Tom Brady's there. Mm. Yeah, Everybody Bill, Bill Belichick kept Tom Brady alive, though. That's the only thing that matters. I, I, I don't think I would. I think I would look at Atlanta. Atlanta would be interesting if I'm what if Belichick goes there. Because I, I, it, it I sounds think, based on the reporting like that is a very likely destination. Seattle would for be Belichick. an interesting one too for Vrabel. See, I don't know what to make of Seattle. I, I think they're stuck and don't know what to do. Yeah. I, I think because the jobs start to get depleted it, pretty it, quickly yeah. if Atlanta's off the board. If Atlanta and if the Chargers are going to go with the Chargers, Jamarba. if those two come off the board and then Philly and Dallas sticks with their coach, if I'm Vrabel, I'd sit out. I, I, because those are the only two, and t- or four if you count those other two. He shouldn't be in a rush. Yeah, because if I'm him, I, I'm going, hey, man, I did everything. You know I'm a great head coach. I'm waiting until the roster is in a place for me to where I can come in and win immediately. Well, and you can also go get a commentating job and make a ton of money sure. for a year yeah. and then go be a coach again. Yeah, I, I think that's what I would do. Like, I, w- I would wait to see, okay, what's going to happen with the Bengals job? Because I would assume there's some some heat there next year if they don't win in a significant level. The Bills, the Chiefs, like... There's some good jobs that could potentially come open at the end of next season. But if if Pittsburgh comes open, you take that. If Philly or the Cowboys come open, you take one of those two. If the Chargers don't end up hiring Jim Harbaugh, yeah, sure. Like I've got a court, I've got a coach there or the the quarterback there. You take that job. But I wouldn't be in a rush if I'm him. I'm not taking the Raiders job, Same. for example. Chargers and it's would not, be good and too. It's not like he's Belichick age where he's 72 yeah. and chasing you know the wins record. Take a year, hang out, make some good money on TV. Yeah, do, do what you got to do. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're diving into the junk drawer, but next. The Cardinals have said all along, hey, one of the biggest priorities this offseason is to fix that log jam that we had in the outfield, because clearly that was one of the biggest issues for the Cardinals in 2023. Did they accomplish that goal? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I, I like the flexibility of having the Donovan that can play anywhere and Eddie that can play anywhere. But it is nice for guys to show up every day and know exactly where they're going to play. And um, it doesn't mean that you can't give a guy a day off and throw Donnie over a third and mix guys around. But it is nice to be able to come in knowing I'm playing short. And I'll play short tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And when I need a day off, it's fine, but I'm the short side. Um, I play center field every day. So it, it, it is nice mentally these guys to to know have some continuity where they're going to be every day so that's something that i'm also 
That was Ollie Marvel at Cardinals Winter Warm-Up yesterday. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, the Cardinals are looking for more of a stagnant lineup. Now, this does not mean you're going to see the same nine players in the lineup every single day at the same spots every single day. When they go up against a lefty versus a righty, you will probably see different versions of the Cardinals lineup. It's too many people. You're going to see, just like last year, I would guess, hey, Jordan Walker once a week is going to get a DH day. That's going to be when he's working in the outfield with Willie McGee. He's going to get a bunch of work pregame, and then he's going to be your DH during the game. You're going to see one day a week where Nolan Arenado and Paul Gold Goldschmidt are getting DH days. You're going to see twice a week where Wilson Contreras is getting a DH day. So those guys are going to get off their feet the same way that we've seen in previous seasons. But the goal is to major- the for the majority of the year, you kind of know where guys are going to be lining up, right? You go into the season and you know Jordan Walker is my right fielder. Tommy Edmond is my center fielder. And when these games matter the most, that's where all of them are going to be playing. That being said, Alex... One of the things that I think Cardinals fans complained about the most last year was this flexibility, the uncertainty of where guys were going to be playing day in and day out. And I don't totally know that that's changed. And the reason why I say that is because when you go into when you went into last year, you had most of the same guys that you have right now. Like you go, you look at the guys, Newt, Walker, Gorman, Burleson, Carlson, Donovan. They're all in the same spots this year as they were last year. Now, Tommy Edmond has changed. He's now where Tyler O'Neill was at this time last year. Mason Wynn is where Tommy Edmond was at this time last year. So you remove Tyler O'Neill from the situation. You remove Richie Palacios from the situation, but he wasn't here until like August. He really replaced Tyler O'Neill, who wasn't here to start the season. Have the Cardinals actually changed the logjam in the outfield from where it was this time last year? I mean, I, I think they have in the outfield because it, uh, last year it, it felt like we were saying, how is Jordan Walker going to be getting all this playing time? Now it panned out perfectly because Tyler O'Neill was awful. Dylan Carlson got hurt and you didn't have Lars Nupar for a majority of the season. So like the outfield, I see it as... You've got Walker, you've got Newt Barr, and you've got Edmund while Dylan Carlson's your fourth outfielder. Like, that seems like it's a little bit more solidified, and then Alec Burleson gets sprinkled in. The part that I'm concerned and confused by is what they do with second base with Gorman and Donovan. Because, to me, I think Mason Wynn is what Paul DeYoung was, and Brennan Donovan is what Tommy Edmund was in terms of, okay, well, you got this versatile guy, he's going to fill in everywhere for you, which makes sense. But if Nolan Gorman's defense doesn't hold up at second base, then how are you getting those at-bats for Nolan Gorman? Because now we're talking about potentially a DH, and then you're getting into the Alec Burleson conversation, and then you're getting into the Wilson Contreras conversation. So the outfield, I feel like, is a lot more concrete in terms of left, center, right, and my fourth outfielder, and then a little bit of sprinkling in of certain guys. It's the infield in the middle of the infield is where I'm a little bit more concerned. It's with. interesting because if they're going to continue doing the DH the way that they did last year, and I see no reason to believe that they won't, Wilson Contreras is going to be in the lineup every day. It's just a matter of, is he DH? Is he a catcher? Two out of three days, probably catcher. The other third day, it's going to be DH. So out of the six-game week, you're going to see him at DH twice. Okay, cool. So now the other four games, Goldie once, Arnado once, Walker once, and then you've got a floating DH, probably Alec Burleson that last day. Okay, well, there's my opportunities at DH, so I don't have a full-time DH next year. That means Gorman is going to have to spend the majority of his time at second because nowhere else you're going to put him. I think what you do going into this year is you really, like, 
you commit to Brendan Donovan as your utility player, and I'm talking super utility the way that the Dodgers did with, like, Chris Taylor, Chris Taylor or the way that the Rays and the Cubs and the Royals did. But his with, bat, you got to have in there every day. Correct. But the way that they did with Ben Zobrist, where, hey, this day you're going to see Nolan Gorman at, at DH. Okay, cool. Brendan Donovan's playing there today. When you see uh, Nolan Arenado getting a day at DH, well, Brendan Donovan's going to be playing there that day. When Jordan Walker gets a day at DH, Brendan Donovan's going to be in your outfield on that day. So you just you always find a spot in the lineup for Brendan Donovan. It's just not going to be anywhere consistently. It's going to be all over the diamond, and he's the guy that moves around to fill in for everybody else instead of moving a bunch of different dudes around on different days. I think the biggest key to all of this is Tommy Edmond being healthy and ready to go and being your everyday center fielder and you committing to that and everybody else buying into their roles. And most importantly, Dylan Carlson actually being a fourth outfielder. You should not feel pressure to get Dylan Carlson at bats this year. He's a fourth outfielder. And if you're going into the season saying that, you got to commit to it, man. I can't go into the season saying that and then suddenly by the second week of the year, oh, Tommy Edmonds not hitting. Let's get Dylan Carlson those opportunities in center. Which is going to happen. You can't. You've got to say this is what we're going with and we're committing to it. Jordan Walker is your everyday right fielder. Lars Newpar is your everyday left fielder, regardless of what the pitcher is that's on the mound. In center field, your center fielder this year is Tommy Edmond. Point blank, period, end of story. Mason Wynn is your starting shortstop. you got to ride with that, man. He's going to struggle. You're not going to get a ton offensively from him, and that's got to be okay with the Cardinals. And that is where I think the stress test will come from. Are you actually willing to commit to this, or are you just saying you are? Because it's easy to say all of this on January 16th. It is really hard on May 1st when Tommy Edmonds hitting 210 in center field and Mason Wynn is hitting a buck 80 at shortstop, and you've had some really bad luck to start out the season from, I don't know, Jordan Walker in right field. Okay, are you actually going to stick with the plan at that point in time in a season where things are really high pressure? It's a pressure cooker in there. I don't know. That's where I, I don't know. I'm very skeptical. That's where it. I get skeptical with Ollie, too, because that's I feel what like I was when you up. have footsteps, you start making changes immediately and not give it time to, to simmer. He, they, in theory, like any team can have a roster like this and say, we've got nine guys that start. The problem is, is when I hear the front office say, you know, we're so high on Carlson, we're so high on Alec Burleson, and I hear, you know, Ali Marmol say that as well. Okay, but then you have to, then you, that's when you, if you're really high on those guys, that's when you have to get them at bats, and that's when you fall into the same issue that you had last year. And that's where I think the stress test is going to come, is it's going to come on, you know, Ali Marmol saying, you know what, these are the nine guys, we've got to ride them. And I think that's where it becomes interesting because you mentioned it. I mean, He's a lame duck manager. When If he starts to feel pressure of, man, we're kind of scuffling along. Is it the offense that's kind of this? Do I need to start making changes to the lineup? That's when it really becomes a test because I, I think it's easy to go with, a, hey, they've got nine guys, and we can name all those guys off, and you're right, Donovan is the utility slash DH kind of guy that is in the starting lineup. We know what the starting nine is, but can you really commit to saying, you know what, Carlson's not a fourth outfielder. You know what, Alec Burleson – we do like him, but we just got to admit this is probably a year where he's not getting a ton of at-bats. Avon Herrera, they're going to be able to get him at-bats, and they really like him. Will they stick with the plan of, hey, he is going to be the backup catcher? Because I think he falls in this conversation, too. Because sure. if Contreras struggles you defensively. There's a lot of p- players that are young that you want yeah, to get exactly. involved and that you want to continue to have as um, a worst-case scenario. You want them to maintain their value on the trade market as well. And so, like, there will come a point in time this year where the Cardinals have to probably decide, do we send Alec Burleson to AAA or get him more at-bats? And the answer should be, 
Neither. Ne- neither. Neither of the two options are what you want. You you want Alec Burleson here to be a pinch hitter. That needs to be his role. And we need to accept that, okay, some guys, they're just going to be bench bats. And for right now, I don't know if this is his future, but for today, Alec Burleson at this point in his career, in a best-case scenario for the Cardinals, if everybody's available and healthy, he's a bench bat for you. That's okay. There's nothing hmm. wrong with that. Dylan Carlson, best-case scenario, in June, should be your fourth outfielder that rarely starts. But if you need some defense late in a game and you need to substitute somebody out, go ahead, put him in there. If you're up by three runs in the eighth inning and you're not going to get another at-bat for Jordan Walker, go ahead and put him in there for Jordan Walker. Nobody's going to complain about that. So that's that's where I do think the Cardinals have some very intriguing decisions. I don't think this has actually been simplified in any meaningful way unless they're willing to commit to the guys that they say they are yeah. right now because they were saying the same things this time last year. Now, where they I, said, we're committed to X, Y, and Z. You actually have to do it for that to mean anything. The, the one spot that I think is a little bit different is I, and again, I, I think some of the talk at Winter Warmer, and we know this, some of the talk is more just um, what the player needs to hear and not so much what they really believe behind the scenes. Like, I think going into last year, they truly believe they had four starting outfielders where they had Newpar, they had Walker, they had O'Neill, and they had Carlson. Right. It was like, okay, well, then how are you getting at bats for him? I think this year, at least my belief is that they've come to the conclusion, you know what, right now, best case scenario, is Carlson is a fourth outfielder. You can't make the argument that he's an everyday starting outfielder. I, I wouldn't even hear it because he can't hit right-handed pitching. And then I heard Alec Burleson talk a winter warm-up, too, about how he's slimmed down and trying to be an option in the outfield, where if that bat starts to play, then you get to the point where now we got Alec Burleson, who's an outfielder. It's going to be intriguing. It's going to be very intriguing early on in the season to see what they're willing to commit to. And I, I don't blame Ollie, by the way, for doing what you're talking about, where like if a guy is struggling in the outfield... And you want to commit to them, like, maybe you do that for a week. But there will come a point in time where you say to yourself, all right, if if Alec Burleson's hitting or if Dylan Carlson looks good at the plate, do you consider making that change? And once you do that, now you're into this spiral once again where it's like, okay, now are we committing to anything or are we just continuing to do the same thing that we did a year ago? I I don't know. And that's that's a hard thing, hard place to be in as a manager. And this is where it gets back to our conversation from earlier of, if you were really committing to 2024 as your year, you probably use some of these pieces to go get that starting pitcher that you crave right now. But if you're trying to keep your options open for 2025 and you're looking at the future and you're saying our 2025 starting first baseman is Alec Burleson, our 2025 starting third baseman is Nolan Gorman and second baseman is Brendan Donovan. Now I start to see where it's like, OK, I understand where this is going and why you would want to hold on to all of these different pieces. But that means 2024 is a like a, a retool year, a, a flipping the page kind of a year to next season. And that's where things get very difficult. Once again, for Ollie Marmel, who's trying to win right now. What's wild about it is go back to Mike Matheny. People were complaining because all he did was play his guys and everybody wanted more versatility. And now we're at the point where it's like, man, it's too much (laughs) versatility coming up in 10 minutes. Jim Harbaugh is in the midst of seemingly every rumor that exists when it comes to college football and the NFL. There is a bit of an update on his college football status. We'll get to that coming up in 10 minutes or so and what it means for him in the NFL. But next time for the junk drawer, I've got a story for you guys here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week.
Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, Jeremy Rutherford will join us in studio here on 101 ESPN. But Alex, for those that have listened over the last few weeks, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I lost my keys. And I lost them to the tune of me having to call my in-laws to get my spare from their house, which is apparently where I had been keeping that uh, for the past two years. Did not know that until I lost my keys. Good. So, Alex, you've been here, right? Where you're looking around your house and you're thinking to yourself, like, God, what what could I have possibly done with my keys? You check the, like, three different areas where you keep them. Do you have a spot? That's designated yeah. for your keys. As soon as I walk in from my garage, we got a little thing that Katie made where I hang that up and I put my wallet in there also. So I have like two different spots that they could be. One oh. is right next to me. There's on, your problem. One is right next to me on my table, my nightstand um, by the bed. The other is on our counter right when I walk in the what door. What monster leaves their car keys next to their bed? Depends what I do when I walk through the door. Mine if I need to sometimes. do something uh, in my room real quick. Well, like You have no other space in your house. So Fair. anyway, it's one of those two spots normally. Well, Alex, you also know that we had a kid about six months ago, so our oh, yes. our stack of papers uh, has started to develop on the kitchen counter, which is right next to where I typically put my keys. So when I lost them, I'm shuffling through all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, those of you that uh, listened a couple of weeks ago when I told the story, you know I, I never found them. They're, they're missing. They're gone. No way, shape, or form that I'm going to be able to take, be in a find diaper, them. Please be in a pool. I went outside. I was like, diaper. it was 11 o'clock at night. I'm keying I've, your own car. Yeah. I've got uh, flashlights that I'm looking on the ground, going back and forth, scanning. I'm on top of my hood, looking into the Cops car to find up. out if it's in there. <laughs> Definitely could have been put into prison for some of the stuff that Son, I was Son, what are you doing? So. Well, my keys are in there. This is my car, I oh, promise. Oh, Fast forward to yesterday. I walk in the house after getting home from the show. Walk straight in, put my keys, my, my spare that I'm now using for the last two weeks, onto the kitchen counter. Oh, look God, to my awesome. left. There's my keys. Say, Kara, did, did you find these? Like, where... Where'd you see these? Did you put them on the kitchen counter? She said, no, are you messing with me? Like, no, I didn't, I didn't touch them. So what do you mean? She said, I I didn't touch those. I don't know how they got there, when they got there, etc. Are you messing with me? Like, did you find them and you're just putting them there? I, no. So her mom had stayed with us the night prior to give us a little bit of sleep while Luca is going through the sleep regression. She hung out with us. So she calls her mom. She said, hey, did, did you find Brandon's keys somewhere laying around and then you put them on the kitchen counter? said, what are you talking about? No, I didn't find them anywhere. Long story short, Alex, my keys were exactly where I thought they would have been. They happened to be like stuck in between a couple of pieces of our mail, apparently. I had no idea, none whatsoever. And so Kara apparently had moved one thing that was on the top yesterday and they were right there. I felt like the biggest dummy in the history of dummies. I feel like it, you were. (laughs) You didn't pick up. Have you ever of- done that before? No. I mean, I'll dig through like somewhere. Weeks. I yeah, had not that no long. idea that they were right there. Well, I, I've lost like. You didn't pick up the pile of papers pa- and shake it. Apparently not. I thought I did. I genuinely thought that I had done I've everything done that before, I could. I've done that before, like with like our like our work key to get into the building, where I will like set it down on the table, but then like I go out, check the mail, then I you know throw down whatever I have on just the table, and it happens to land on that, and then the next morning when I'm like scrambling through, I'm going, okay, where would I have put it? But I will check that pile of papers yeah. and usually find it, not wait two weeks. See, the only no, time I, I thought I, the thing is, like, I thought that I had checked. I did go through the pieces of paper. Apparently, I did, didn't check close Boy, this, this piece of paper is really heavy. Must not be a key in it. <laughs> the only time that I lose my keys are if they fall out of my pocket. 
Like that's the one thing like I'll never set down and forget. I do it with my phone. I've done it with my wallet. Sure. But the keys are always like they come when they come out of my pocket, it goes on that hook. But like the phone, thank God for these Apple watches that you can click the locator on your phone because with toddlers, they'll take it and it'll be like in my daughter's pamper. And you hit it, and you're like walking around your house, going, "Okay, I hear the damn beeping." Where maybe you need one of these for your keys, man. I think I do. I you think I need those, to put some uh, kind of a tracker the, on the, here. The, the Apple, Apple Air Tags. Yeah, so I've got the Air Tags, but they don't have like a hook for the. Oh, they have the keychains key for it, don't they? Ah, good call. They have keychains that you put it in and you attach to it. He's Alex. That's Steve on minutes. Jeremy Rutherford's going to join us on the show. Somebody on the text line three one four three nine 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 six four six said, "Ah, so this is the dummy that's calling the Chiefs a Super Bowl champion contender." Yeah, same guy. Don't call me a dummy, dummy. Touche, sir. All right, coming up next, Jim Harbaugh is asking for immunity from college football to return to Michigan. I don't think he's going to get it, which I think means that he's going to the NFL. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. BK, you got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So Jim Harbaugh, according to Dan Wetzel, is asking college football and really specifically uh, Michigan for immunity when it comes to all of the different things that he's being investigated for right now with call with the NCAA. According to Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports, Alex, he is asking for a six-year 100 or a six-year deal worth $11.5 million per year, which would be fully guaranteed, and immunity from termination. For any finding from multiple current NCAA investigations. Thought they were innocent. What does he need immunity for? I'm going to go out on a limb. Say Michigan's probably going to say go chase yourself. I've seen a lot of blacklist episodes. And anytime somebody's asking for immunity, they're guilty. It's it's not a great sign if you're Jim Harbaugh. I think Jim Harbaugh is going to be coaching in the NFL next year. I think Jim Harbaugh wants to coach in the NFL. I think that's why he asked for immunity so he's like, I'm not coming back. If I'm Jim Harbaugh, the reason why you do this is because it's easy to sell it to Michigan fans where you're like, hey, I wanted to come back, but they just wouldn't give me this clause. And so Michigan fans don't look at you as the bad guy. They look at the team. They look at the administration as, oh, you weren't willing to meet the demands of the greatest coach that we've had in the last 20 years. So I think Jim Harbaugh is going to end up in the NFL. Alex, where are you at on this story? He's coming back to the NFL. I, I think that's very evident. You don't take the interview with the Chargers if you're set on being in college football still. I think that's where he wants to go. And to me, asking for immunity is like the perfect out to where they're like, we can't give you immunity. Well, cool. Then I guess I'm not coming back. So sorry. And he can leave by saying, look, I just didn't get what I wanted in in." Michigan to stay in college football and the NFL was willing to give me something. So that's why I went there. That's why I just feel like it's, it's all set for Jim Harbaugh. He got what he wanted. You won the championship. You were a dominant coach for so long. There's nothing else you need here. Now you go to the next stage. Yeah. I think he's going to the NFL. I think he's realized like he's reached the ceiling at Michigan, which like, Hey, good for him. Cause it was a national championship. Yeah, it's pretty good. Ceiling. And he's a, le- he's going to be a legend at Michigan because it's his alma mater. He ends up winning the title for them while he was there. But I think he realized, hey, man, I'm tired of dealing with all the recruiting that goes on at the college football level. As we've seen, he clearly does it illegally. Uh, Clearly. And and I think he realized, I think, BK, you mentioned this last week of 
I mean, you kind of have the quarterback at the college level. It's so hard to find the quarterback. And he had J.J. McCarthy. And now that McCarthy's entering the NFL draft, and part of that could be because Harbaugh's probably going to leave, I think he's going, man, that means i got to go find that next guy in the recruiting trail as well or hit the transfer portal. Like, there is a lot that goes into building a roster at the college level. So I think he's just like, yeah, I, I think you guys are right. I'll pin this kind of on Michigan. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go take a job in the NFL where I'm a hot commodity right now. And the team that's probably going to hire me, Chargers, who had the interview with them. I can see where the Falcons may interview them if they don't go after Bill, if they end up changing mind on Bill Belichick. You're going to a team that's going to have a roster for you as well. So he's going to have three to five year window to where he can have success. So I think Jim Harbaugh, it's safe to say right now, would be the second best coach in college football. Do you guys agree with that? I think Kirby Smart is everybody's version of number one, and then number two with Nick Saban retiring, I think right now it would be Jim Harbaugh for me. Do you guys agree with that? I would say so. If he leaves for the NFL, who's the second best coach in college football? Eli Drinkwitz. Is that the answer you were looking for? No, I'm just asking in all sincerity. Because Dabo Swinney would have been the answer to this question a few years ago. I think there would have been a point in time where you could look across the country and say, like, there's a bunch of different guys that you could put here. Like, I think that a couple of years ago, it would have been fair to say uh, USC's head coach. Um, oh, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Lincoln Riley. I think he would have been up I'm in this conversation. Sarkeesian in this conversation? Sure. Like you, yeah. and now, today, I think you could throw Brian Kelly, Kalen DeBoer, yeah, Ryan I was say, Day, DeBoer Steve going Sarkeesian, to Alabama is going to help. Lane Kiffin, Dan Lanning, Mike Norvell. I think you could throw all of these guys into that conversation. I don't think there's a clear-cut number two coach in college football right now. I think we're going into one of the more uncertain eras that we have seen in a long time. And that, to me, is really fun, given the fact that we're about to see a 12-team college football playoff in a time when there is so much turnover taking place in the sport. Yeah, and I think a big reason for it, a lot of these guys, because I think a lot of those names that we just said are great head coaches, but they haven't had like sustained success. Like you think of Sark in at Texas. This was the first year he got to the playoffs. Yeah. Last year, now Ewers was hurt, but they weren't that great last year. You think of Brian Kelly. Okay, he was good two years ago at LSU. This past year was not very good. Um, you most of these names that we have said, Dabo Sweeney's kind of fallen off. Lincoln Riley. I think there's a lot of questions about what USC is going to be next year. A lot of these head coaches that we say have all of a sudden either starting to take a downturn or they've only had like one year of like legitimate success at the top level. And I think Ryan Day even falls into that category where he now can't get past Michigan to get himself into the college football playoffs. So I, I think the jury's out on who's number two. I would probably lean towards Dane Lanning at Oregon. I, I think he's fantastic up there in the Northwest, but I could hear the argument for a whole bunch of names that could be number two. You could make an argument for, argument for Lane Kiffin, and that guy's yeah. an absolute nutcase in the best possible way. I say that in all sincerity. And like if Brian Kelly were to leave LSU and take that job at Michigan, which has been kind of rumored in some circles, I think the first call that LSU probably makes is crazy enough. Lane Kiffin. I think that's probably the guy that they try to go out there and get, which speaks to where we are right now in college football. For Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic and 101 ESPN, joins us in studio coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. News, notes, and nuggets. It's time for the Rutherford Report with our Blues Insider, Jeremy Rutherford. Brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite Contractor. Alongside Alex Ferrari 
Leon Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And in studio is Eli Rutherford, Jeremy Rutherford's son. It's great to have him in with us, JR, along for the ride as well. You can, of course, read his work over at The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. JR, what's good, man? Not too much, guys. Thanks for letting him slide in here. We were coming over from uh, practice at Centene. He was uh, off school today for anybody who's going, what's the kids doing? (laughs) We're off school. We joked with uh, Scott Prinovich about that. He's off of school on a day like this. I said, buddy, it's not Minnesota. (laughs) Coming from Higby, Minnesota. Yeah, that's not how it works. Yeah. So I told him we were coming in the studio to do this again. Thanks for having him. Uh, He did say on the way over here, Dad, can I do it? I'm better than you. So he's got a point there. Well, and did he talk to the left-handed defenseman to give him some (laughs) tips out there? Because that's where that's where Eli thrives on the ice. All right, JR. Let's talk about this yes, Blues sir. team. Um, I, I think in the back of our minds, we all kind of knew, okay, this is still the same Blues team that we saw early on this season. They still have some deficiencies. This is not a Stanley Cup contender. We all know that. We did, though, see a sustained stretch of period where they played better. They, they looked like a better hockey team. How would you assess where we're at right now? Just, like, big picture sense. We're, we're roughly halfway through the season. What, what would you say this Blues team is? I think they're about where we thought they'd be. And interestingly, I think Alex told me last night on Press Row that uh, he took the the survey that we have at The Athletic right now for Blues fans. You're welcome, buddy. And not to be a spoiler here because the results have come out in a few days, but I did peek at them this morning. And I asked the question, is this Blues team better, worse, or about where you thought they'd be? And that's what's winning right now, about where you thought you'd be. Probably about, I think, 60%. So I, I think I speak for a lot of Blues fans who say that, that you didn't think they'd be a playoff team in terms of going a round or two, but you didn't think they'd be bottom of the the barrel. Um, But I think we've seen so many ebbs and flows where you see on nights when they can play well, especially after Drew Bannister took over, you know, they've beaten some great teams, right? And even these games recently, they've been in some of them. But I got to say this, I I think that the mistakes we're seeing at critical times are reflective of a roster that's just not on par with a lot of the league. Do you think that's where they're trending, though, is away from that new coach honeymoon phase and more into, yeah, this is what we thought this team was going to be and the mistakes are still there. Yeah, I was thinking about that after last night's game. You know, has 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 it worn off in terms of getting that new coach bump? And the thing we talked about with Drew Bannister a couple weeks ago is how do you sustain that? How do you keep it going? Well, it's tough when you have some holes in the roster, right? So I don't want to say that this team can't go out and still beat some good teams. You're just three points back of the wild card spot. Mm. Heck, they could still make the playoffs. But I think that, yes, you get to a point where, okay, you know that, that energy that you get from the coaching change has worn off, and now you have to go out and play. And what I was thinking about on the drive home last night, Alex, is you know, just think if a couple months ago you're talking about, uh, you know, gosh, if we could just get the power play. Well, the power play is going right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just seems like you're plugging holes in a dam in terms of areas of your game that you want to be better. And now you get this area better, but now you can't muster 30 shots on net. Or now you can't, you know, have veterans make critical mistakes at the key it's, times. It's wild because we talked so much about, or Bannister talked about net front presence on the power play, and that's how you get it going. And the five goals, look at the five, look at the five goals you've been scoring. But now they're pleading for net front presence. Steve Ott told Curbs and Joey that last night. He said we need to have a lot more buy-in of net front presence at even strength. You buy in on the power play, but not at even strength in that area. Yeah, and and that's something that's I think plagued this team probably for a couple years, and they're begging for it on the power. play play and now you're getting it well guess what like you said steve Ott said now you're begging for it five on five and you look at the shot totals bk last night you know we tweeted it and i saw you noticed it is uh look at the the ranger game 42 21 uh was it 38 
35-23 a couple uh-huh. nights ago. Uh, last night, same thing. They're just not making good plays, and then what happens is they turn the puck over, it's back in their zone, and they're playing defense for most of the shift. They're not able to get down there uh, in the offensive zone and sustain anything, and when they do, it's it's one and done. So um, I see a team right now who you know, can be good on a lot of nights. They've shown it here recently, but I think big picture, like we just said, it's about where we thought they would be. Jeremy Rutherford's in studio with us. You can, of course, read his work over at The Athletic. They do have that survey that is available to you right now. If you go over to The Athletic, go over to the St. Louis page, you can get a, become a part of that uh, fan survey of wh- where this team's at right now, kind of asking a bunch of questions like that. We'll certainly get into those results with you, uh, JR, whenever we get to that next week. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at JP Rutherford. JR, you, men- you mentioned the the shots and all of this, the offense really at even strength, that's been an issue all year long. And as I look at the roster, and if we just kind of take a step back, I think it's kind of understandable. Because when you look at the middle six that this team's putting out there right now, it just doesn't look like a contending middle six roster to me. And as you look at what they have done since Drew Bannister was hired, I mentioned this to Alex earlier today, Jordan Kyra has six goals in the last 14 games. You'll take that. You've got four from Pavel Buchnevich, four from Robert Thomas. That top line is producing the way that we all kind of anticipated that they would this season. But then after that, if you're looking at your top goal-scoring producers among your forwards, there's only two other forwards that have more than one goal in your last 14 games. It's Kevin Hayes at even strength two, Brandon Saad with two. Well, there's your story. Right. And you're just not getting enough c- contributions from somebody not named Thomas Kairou Buchnevich. Yeah, 100%. And going into the season, what were you talking about? Gosh, if this team could just play good defense, they yeah. can probably say what Doug Armstrong proclaimed, that you know third place is what they're hoping for. But now here as we sit, the defense has played pretty good overall. And, and then you look at that forward group, and you're just not getting it. I do think we could probably go back and roll back the tape, You know, us three having the same conversation of, gosh, if you can get 25, 30 goals out of Verona, if you can get 20, 25 out of Kapanen, um, I know he hasn't been that type of guy, mm-hmm. but if you can get some 20-goal production out of a number of these guys, a Braden Chen, and you're just not getting it from any of those guys to the point where Verona's in Springfield, Kapanen's getting moved. Like last night, Drew Bannister, he moves him up to the top line. You oh. think that's a reflection of Cairo? He said, no, I'm trying to put some life in, in Kapanen. Um, they're not getting it done from a number of those guys, and, and the production offensively just isn't there besides that top line. Well, go ahead, BK. What's up with Braden Chen? You know, I, I think that you, you you talk to a lot of people around the league and they look at that contract and they say that he's not worth that. I think Braden Shen can be worth that because he's a leader on your team. And I think he does a lot of the things that make a good team and pulls people together. But in order to be that type of guy, you know, making six, five, you got to be able to produce. And he's been very consistent over the years, producing 25 goals, you know, 60 points, what have you. So you look at this season, is it a matter of, you just don't have the right pieces together. I mean, we're talking about this mismatch hodgepodge roster up front, and I'm not trying to take the onus off of Shen because he's a big part of that, and he's got to be able to produce and set other guys up. But the offense hasn't been there. So, you know, people talk about the load of being a captain, the load of the pressure that he puts on himself. I don't know if that's caught up to him. You, you talk to him, and you hear the right things. He's trying. He, he's trying to put himself in position. You know, the more you talk about it, um, the more it adds up on you. So he tries to avoid that type of conversation. I don't think, I guess to answer your question the best I can, I don't think we've seen the last of the good offensive production from Brain Chen. I don't think it's like completely downhill from here. I just think he's in a massive rut, and I don't think there's enough good enough players around him 
to make him be able to play and have success with that group. Yeah, he's struggling from what they have right now and what they don't have are goal scorers. Feels like Ryan O'Reilly last year. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it, Josh it feels like the exact same conversation that we had last year. And Ryan O'Reilly finished that season for 40 games here in St. Louis. He had 12 goals and seven assists. He was a minus 24 and on the ice And what did he do the rest of the, or after St. Louis that year? I, he pretty good. 13 games with Toronto had 11 points for them. But this year, I think and you this look year, more specifically. He's had a good year with Nashville. And he's playing 16 with, goals, right. 38 points in 44 games. He's back to close to a point per game producer. And because he's playing with better players he's around He's playing him. with Philip yeah, Forsberg, who's a goal scorer. you got to play with better players. And that's not to take Shen off the hook. Look, look, he's got to make other players Absolutely. better around him. If, if he's setting up guys and guys are scoring, then you look at Shen a little bit uh, differently. So I know he's going to have the detractors. I know people don't like the contract. I know that people are saying, you know, he's on the other side of the back nine. Uh, but I think that he's a guy who, with better players around him, could have better numbers. So year. on the defensive side, Jr., we were sitting next to each other last night, and I was talking with you about it. Uh, Falk, is, since his return, and I don't know if he's still dealing with an injury or not, but he's been on the ice for every even strength goal against. And when Drew Bannister broke up that Matt Kessel and Tori Krug pairing, it seemed that the defense went away and you started to see more of run-and-gun offense that the Blues put themselves in tight spots. Do they go back to to, to Krug and, and Kessel and tell Falk that you're going to have to figure it out on a third pair? Or do they stick with it and hope it comes out the other side? So, Alex, I actually asked uh, Drew Bannister that question today. I said, how do you balance this? You know, you have a situation where Falk's coming back from injury. He, uh, Drew Bannister said a couple days ago that, you know, Justin's going to take some time, a little bit of time, to probably get back to where he was pre-injury. Uh, but in the meantime, you're right, five straight even-strength goals that Justin Falk's been on the ice for. You know, Tory Krug was playing some pretty good hockey with Matt Kessel. So can you go back to Matt kessel Tory Krug pairing in the second pair? It didn't sound like that's what they're going to do. Drew Bannister's mm-hmm. answer was that, hey, when Falk tells you two games ago that he's ready to go, it's time to play, they're going to put him back in his spot. So, you know, they like the, the Perinovich-Kessel pairing right now. You know, if I had to guess, this Washington game, it's probably Falk and Krug again. But I think they have to keep an eye on that because, um, you know, whatever you think about the season, they're still trying to win games. And right now, that middle pairing on the ice for four out of the last five, Krug and Falk, it's hurting them right now. How would you assess Justin Falk's game this year? I think it's been a tough year for him. I think that, you know, defensively, it's been much better for everybody. Um, I think Falk has been okay defensively. Um, You know, I think part of Tory Krug being better this year is always having Justin Falk on that side. But I do give Tory Krug a lot of credit. He's upped his game since last year. Uh, But you look at the offensive numbers, and I know, you know, he didn't score for a long time, and then he got a a goal and broke that up, but it's it's just the offense hasn't been there. And I think you look at last year, was it, where he was double-digit goals and, and producing, and, and we haven't seen the offense. So um, I think if you look at Justin Falk as a whole, you don't count on him necessarily offensively, but that's an added bonus, and it, it just hasn't been there. So, like, I always think in terms of if you had to do the report card today, and at this point I'd probably give Justin Falk a, a C-minus. Final one for me, and I know this was on your your survey as well that people can go vote on on The Athletic. And I I hate bringing it up because there's still a lot more games to be played, but I I do so because Doug Armstrong said, like, the search is going to be going on all season. Bannister has looked good, but hypothetically, if if it wanes away and this team trickles back into their problems that they had prior to Drew Bannister taking over, what does Doug Armstrong do? Because you can't bring in another coach and say, well, we're going to hope he gets the best out of this group. Yeah, I think it... It goes back to me, Alex. 
as far as what is their plan? Are they trying to find a coach who's going to come in here and help them win? Are they trying to find a coach who can help them come in and, and improve these young players and the players who are coming in, the assets, the, the draft picks that they've made? Or are you trying to find a guy who can try to do both? And I think that's a difficult job, as Craig Bruby told you guys. He told me in the story, you know, that's hard to do what they're asking him to do. So to me, it, it comes down to what what team are they trying to be at this point in this retool? Uh, to me, I think that Drew Bannister makes a lot of sense in terms of his ability to coach up young players. He's dealt with a lot of these players in the American Hockey League, and it seems like he has the attention of these veterans, at least for now. So, you know, you, you paint a picture of, well, if things go south and trickle down, they miss the playoffs. I know, negative Nancy yeah, over here. Yeah, well, I, I think that, you know, then Doug is going to have a tough decision on his hands. I got to believe that, you know, he's got his list. He's probably reached out. He's talked to a few people, gauged their interests. And its I don't think it's going to come down to how does this team finish the season. I think it's going to come down to do they have faith that Drew Bannister can do this job on a regular basis and, and continue to improve this team as we've seen you know, in different spots this year. Are there coaches in the NHL that you think do both? Because the tough part, it seems, is... If you try, like if you do one where you're developing those younger players, you're going to be wasting some of the prime years of some guys that can help you contend, and then you're stuck in that murky middle. I'm sure there are coaches who can do both, but I think what's your identity? Like you're making roster decisions and also lineup decisions on a nightly basis based on what are you trying to do? Are we trying to improve these guys? Or are we trying to win the game tonight? Right. And, and I think that's too hard. What I had a conversation with somebody at the practice today about this, Alex, is a lot of times what happens is you'll keep a coach knowing that he's going to be the coach to get you to the next coach. So is it a Drew Bannister who, you know, maybe you don't know if, if you hire him full time that he'll be here in three or four years, right. but you think he's the right guy for the job right now. And then you see how it goes. And then maybe you get to that point in three years where you're ready uh, to potentially take that next step. And, and maybe somebody else is out there. And, and I'm not saying that you know, as any disrespect to Drew Bannister, I'm just saying we've seen that in the NHL before where you have a Davis Payne and then they make the next coaching hire. So, uh, Dalex, I think that's a tough ask of any coach to do the double dip, which is what they were trying to ask Craig Bruby and now of Drew Bannister. He's Jeremy Rutherford. You can find his work over at The Athletic where you can be a part of that survey that they were just discussing. You can also follow him on Twitter if you want an easy way to get there. At J.P. Rutherford. Jared, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks for bringing in the the more intelligent yeah, blues voice over he was here, right. which is Eli. Eli, he was right. He, he would have done better than me. <laughs> It's a it's a high bar to clear, but I think Eli would have found a way to do it. He's Jeremy Rutherford, one of the best in the business. We always enjoy having him here on BK and Ferrario. You can hear him each and every Tuesday throughout the Blues season. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll hit the rewind. But next, NFL Quick Hitters here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Coming up here in just a little bit, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind. If you missed any of our conversation with Jeremy Rutherford, the great blues insider for The Athletic, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101ESPN app, or on YouTube at youtube.com slash 101ESPN. Those are all presented by Dodds Tire and Auto Centers. But before we get to the rewind, we got to get to some NFL quick hitters. Alex, let's start with this. There are some quotes going around from the Eagles. Here are a couple of them. One, 
quote, it seemed like the bleeping well ran dry a little bit for us. We had six oh. weeks to try to offer you explanations on how we were going to fix it, and we didn't do bleep. That's a Sirianni quote. Lane Johnson. Oh, never mind. Quote, it's a weird business. You saw with Dallas last night. That's a tremendously talented team, and this is just what the NFL is about, man. Sometimes you go out there and you bleep around, and then you end up finding out. Tonight, we found out. Eagles got to make a change. Man. Never bleep. The around. vibes are too bad with this team to just run this thing back with Nick Sirianni. Yeah, they again they next sound year, like right? an angsty teenage kid right now that's listening to a lot of some forty-one. Speaking from personal experience, I guess. Uh, yeah, you got to make a change. You gotta, you gotta do something to lift the spirits of this team. They sound like they just finished the year with one victory overall and not know sure where to go. Where you started the year off like a team that everybody was talking about as a Super Bowl contender again. Now you lost Jason Kelsey, probably gonna use a, lose AJ Brown. You got to make a massive change if you're the Philadelphia Eagles before this turns into a bigger issue. Yeah, I, I don't know how if your ownership you hear these quotes coming out and you go. Run it back. Run it back, boys. I, I just don't know because, like, it'd be one thing if I don't even know how you would say it properly, but just the vibes. You're right. I, everything that's being said is like, yeah, man. Like, we had six six weeks, we didn't figure it out. We don't know what happened. That's not that's not encouraging. It reminds me a lot of what the Blues locker room was kind of last yeah. year before the deadline, where it was doesn't look good on hey, the coach. Yeah, the same stuff happened. We we don't know. We we don't have answers. All right, blow it up. Arm. That's what Armstrong did. So. I, I don't know how, if your ownership, you can hear all the quotes that have been coming out and hearing Jalen Hurts at the press conference last night and not make a change. It, it, it would be a massive mistake, in my opinion. All right, as we continue along with some NFL quick hitters, guys, I felt myself underwhelmed by the Bills yesterday. Was I wrong to feel that way? Did you feel differently about the Bills? Let's set aside the Kansas City conversation, but I, I think there's going to be a lot of people that look at the final score that maybe that didn't watch the game and they're like, oh, OK, the Bills are back. Bills went on a run. They finished out the season undefeated. What was it? Five straight wins. Now they do this against the Steelers just the way they were supposed to. They're going to go on a run. They're going to the Super Bowl. Do you feel differently than I do, Alex? Because I, I feel like they were supposed to be the team that nobody wanted to play at this time of the year. And I feel like they're the team that is kind of the same as everybody else in the AFC. I didn't feel underwhelmed by them in the first half. The first half, they looked like a team that was going to be uh, a force to be reckoned with. The second half, I felt differently. But here's the thing. They weren't plagued by Josh Allen in that game, especially in the second half. Their defense is what hurt them. And part of me just feels like you're a team that was going into halftime up, what, 21 to nothing? Had the opportunity to go up 28 to nothing? It felt like a group of guys that just said, we're good. Pittsburgh's got nothing. The, the way they looked in that first half, Pittsburgh didn't even look like a competent opponent. And the Bills were thinking, oh, okay, this should be easy. And I think they got a little bit of taste of reality. So I, I'm not o- underwhelmed or overwhelmed by them. I'm not underwhelmed by them. I think they played a good game. I think they have to be better if they want to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. But they, they played like a playoff a contender in that game, I thought. Played like a playoff contender. I didn't think they played like a Super Bowl contender. And I think there's a distinct difference between those two. And if they can't play like a Super Bowl uh, contender while not committing turnovers against that I'm Steelers not sure anybody in that Super Wild Card weekend played like a Super Bowl contender. I think the Chiefs did. I, I, think, I think the Packers did. I'd throw the Texans in there. I, I thought they looked fantastic over the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought mm. I thought those would be the two. The, the Packers, I think tech, maybe the three. The Packers, Texans, and Chiefs. Given the weather, I think the Chiefs played like a Super Bowl contender. I think Josh Allen and that offense looked very good in the first half against Pittsburgh, and I think they just took a seat backwards in the second half. Yeah, I, I I was a little underwhelmed, um, just because like what you said, like 
That game, sh- I shouldn't have felt like in the second half that Pittsburgh was in it, and, and I did. And that was knowing that Pittsburgh shouldn't even technically be a pl- or shouldn't be a playoff team. God, that's a terrible team to watch. Um, but I, why couldn't you put the game away? Because I do think a lot of what you said happened to where they went into the half up 21-7 and said, man, look at Pittsburgh. They're not a competent football team. We can, we can take our foot off the gas pedal a little bit. And I think that's what happened. But that shouldn't be the case when you're the two seed and when you're in the playoffs. If this was a regular season game, I could get that. Dude, they had a chance to come back. Like The Steelers had a chance to get right back into that thing, but they have Mason Rudolph, so they decided not to do that. All right, next thing up, let's get through a couple of these really quickly. Would you rather have Baker Mayfield or Deshaun Watson for the next five years? (laughs) Can I uh, tank? Yeah, I was going to say, can I opt for C and just assume that you have to have this quarterback for the next five years because that's basically the case with Deshaun Watson. Would you rather have Deshaun Watson or Baker Mayfield? I mean, mine would be Baker Mayfield because he's available. And I think that's the best ability. I don't really care. Like this whole like Deshaun Watson thing and like, well, he's shown signs of greatness. Man, it's been like three years since I've seen that. And I'm kind of done with that experiment of acting like Deshaun Watson's going to get back to that level. I at least if you're giving me one of those two options, I want a quarterback that's got a winning mentality, not a ooh, this hurts. I don't want to play mentality. That's kind of where I am. I, I think I would take Baker. I, and it's more so just, I, I know he's going to be there, and I know he's going to be available. I don't necessarily know what it's going to look like on the field, but he's going to be available. And I, I think when you look at Deshaun Watson, there was too much just red flags behind the scenes this year. I mean, we already know about his shady past. This year was really alarming from the Browns' perspective. For, you'd have Stefanski go, yeah, Watson's available. Watson come out and go, I don't know if I'm playing this weekend. Uh, uh What? Like, that that's concerning. At least Baker, and he was hurt in that game going into it last night. He's going to show up. He's going to play. And when he's got confidence, he's at least a capable starting quarterback. So I would say Baker Mayfield. All right, final thing here. It sounds like uh, Bill Belichick is the leading candidate to get the Atlanta Falcons job. He interviewed yesterday with Atlanta, and there were reports that Atlanta would like to get something done with him quickly. If he takes that job and Atlanta takes a quarterback, let's say it's one of Drake May, Caleb Williams, or Jaden Daniels, one of those three. Where do the Falcons rank going into next year for you in the NFC? I mean, it, I guess it's hard for me to say until I see what it looks like because it didn't look great with Bill Belichick there towards the end, but at least on paper, Super Bowl contender. I mean, I got a Super Bowl caliber coach. I've got the high prospect of one of those quarterbacks in an elite offense that's in place. So I Especially for how freaking open the NFC seems to always be, with the exception of San Francisco, it'd be hard for me not look at them, at least on paper, and say they've got the opportunity to do some damage in the playoffs. I want to see Jaden Daniels on that team. I would love to see Jaden Daniels, Daniels, B. John Robinson, Kyle Pitts, Drake London. That would be a hell of a lot of fun. Matt Patricia calling off. No, stop it. No. You know, he'll bring his son. It's going to be Josh McDaniels. Come on. Josh McDaniels is going to be the offensive coordinator. Even with all that, is it weird if I said like sixth or seventh? In the NFC, I because one I don't like like what Alex said like I don't Dallas, know Philly, if, Detroit, San Francisco ahead of them. I got well if Dallas brings yeah, back Mike McCarthy, I'm done Stanford with them. San Fran, Dallas, um, Detroit. I, I'm still gonna throw Philly in there. They've got a great roster. They probably need to make a change, but I would throw Philly in there. I'm putting the Rams ahead of them. I'm gonna put the Packers ahead of them because I saw Jordan Love be the franchise guy. And depending on what Minnesota does, I would probably throw Minnesota ahead of them. They bring back Kirk. I love the offensive weapons. Defensively, they were good under Brian Flores this year. I just I yeah, don't know if I trust still, I don't know if I trust Belichick with a but that's still a young wide open field in the NFC. Like I don't it, think any of those is. are overwhelming. I, I would agree with that. It is, but I gotta see it first before I'm sure. willing to say like, "Hey, Bill Belichick's here. We're Super Bowl contenders." Woo! They have the 
potential to be a top three team in the NFC. Yeah. I think I'm with T-Bone. I would probably go into the year with him as a top six Absolutely. team in the NFC, which is a hell of a statement considering this year they had whatever that was. All right, coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. I'm doing my final segment of the week here Woo! on BK and Ferrario. Celebrate good times. Come on. It's a celebration. <laughs> and we got Grand Francis tomorrow. Celebrate good times. Come on. Anyways, what are we about? Wait, wait, what's happening? Yeah, he's going to be talking about the Super Bowl champs. Yeah, the Bills. Buffalo this week, Bills. And the Buffalo Bills. Hey, man, I win money Shut either way. Wagon. Like I'm assuming moose? that's a bill. That was like a moose. It's a bill. I think that was a cow. No, oh, a cow? I never said moo. It was yeah. more of an internal grunt. It sounded a lot like that moose a on uh, Polar, in Polar Express. There's a moose in Polar Express? I think you're thinking like of the Polar wrong Express? movie. Yes, sir. Great Express, movie. yes or no? Love. I actually watched it like five times this Christmas. This I didn't watch it this one. What? Yeah, oh if you watch that again. Get the hell out of here. Like it, okay, hold on. Let's do this. The plot line is just Let's do this. Not What's great. the best Christmas film, BK? Elf. No, that's a terrible take. Elf is the best. Elf is great, but it's not the best. It's Tom Hanks has never one. made a bad movie in his yeah, life. Seriously, Tom Hanks, is, Tom Hanks is the goat of films. Right up there with Tom Sly Stone and fantastic. Marlon Brando. Tom Hanks is great. Not a bad, not a good movie. He literally was every character in Polar Express. Correct, which is weird. All right. Uh, by the way, I, I think this my house is haunted. I think that's what I learned today. No, it's not. You just don't know how to check where your items are. Before we get out of here, let's do some predictions. Alex, when I return, which will be Monday of next week to do the show. Oh, man, one more week and then I'm out when he's back. The teams that advanced in the divisional round are who? Texans versus Ravens. Texans. Texans. Wow. Lamar Jackson is 1-3 and three and has never advanced past the divisional round. I think this is the year. I think Sounds they win. Do. I've got the, I've got no. the Ravens. Packers or 49ers? Niners. 49ers. I think they roll. I think they win by like 14. Yeah. Chiefs Jordan level Bills. look average. Chiefs or Bills? Bills. Bills. Are you just doing a bit? Or no, are you actually no I, I, I do think the Bills win. I think that comes down to the last play, and I think Josh Allen will have the ball By the in his way, hands. that is going to be the number one team that I'm rooting for this weekend. Yes. I may be yeah. uh, ordering a Josh Allen jersey. I've already texted Donnie and said I am all aboard the Buffalo Bills train. That's fine. You guys will crash into the side of the road. Uh, the Chiefs Whoa. will win that game oh, on gosh, Sunday violence. evening. That's very brutal, Bucks man. versus the Lions. Lions. Lions have to win this one. Yeah, Lions. They, they should be playing in the NFC Championship game this year. That is the expectations after uh, after the Bucks ended up beating the uh, the Eagles last night. Because if they, man, if you ended up getting the Cowboys, like I probably would have picked the Cowboys over the Lions, even though that probably would have ended poorly for me. Uh, the Bucks. Oh, I would have taken Lions over the Cowboys. Really? Yeah, that's fair. Because like I'm, I'm just, well, yeah, I'm just waiting for Dallas to blow it. No, that's fair. Yeah. Any other brain busters? <laughs> Just Chiefs to the Super Bowl. Don't forget, guys, Dude. ladies and gentlemen, 
The bet for this weekend, Texans money line, Chiefs minus nine and a half on the alternate line. You have a future of the Bills winning the Super Bowl. I do, but so I can win like money a fraud. Either way. Don't either be a way. fraud. He's Alex. That's T-Bone. I'm BK. I, I will be back on Monday at 11 a.m. The boys will take care of you guys the rest of the week starting at 11 a.m. But coming up next, it is the fast lane with Anthony Stalter and somebody else here on 101 ESPN. Perry! You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.